Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. to our exclusive one-on-one with Jimmy Kimmel. I sat down with a late-night talk, uh, late-night host to talk about everything from his upcoming blockbuster show in Brooklyn to his headline-making role in the healthcare debate. I've been at this pizzeria 25 years. I make the pies my way. Jimmy Kimmel and his entire show returning to Brooklyn, his birthplace where he'll broadcast all next week. What is it about Brooklyn? Brooklyn is... A magical place. It really is. And every time I bring my kids there, I feel guilty that they don't get to just run around the neighborhood with a bunch of other kids. Cause we don't really do that here in L.A. No. We don't really know our neighbors until we're being deposed by them. So, You also have quite a few famous New Yorkers coming on the show next week. Among them, David Letterman. Yeah, this is the first time he's done a late night show since his last show. And that's terrifying for me. <laughs> how hard or how long do you prepare the questions for David Letterman to come on your show? I feel like I've been preparing questions for Dave for my whole life. You also have Billy Joel. Billy Joel's a favorite of mine. Howard Stern, Amy Schumer, Tracy Morgan, who's a, a good pal. We got we have a really good lineup. Jimmy and his show have been making news the last few months, not for jokes or skits, but for calling attention to the news of the day. My wife, Molly, gave birth to a boy, a baby boy. In a very personal way. You know, before 2014, if you were born with congenital heart disease like my son was, there was a good chance you'd never be able to get health insurance because he had a pre-existing condition. In May, he revealed his newborn son, Billy, was born with a heart defect and had to have emergency life-saving surgery. No parent should ever have to decide if they can afford to save their child's life. Massive issues that you continue to face with your son, Billy. How's he doing, by the way? He's doing well, thank you. He's, we're getting ready to have another operation. and He's doing very well, thanks. I love all the pictures of him smiling. and He's very smiley, and he's, he's very cute. Was there an, a, a moment when you decided, I'm now going to take something very personal and try to change the mood of not only America, but our, our lawmakers? It's not something that I discussed with anyone other than my wife, but I did know that I had to say something. Thank you for listening. I promise I'm not going to cry for the rest of the show. Long before his son's crisis, he lived through a health care and insurance struggle. I remember being, you know, fired from a radio job when I was 23 years old, and I had to get my own health insurance. I was paying $800 a month. I had no job, so... You know, I've been there, I understand it, and uh, it's just kind of always stuck with me. And until something happens to you, I'm a cancer survivor, and you actually realize what these costs right. are. You were very emotional when you talked about your son, also when you talked about the events in Las Vegas. Have you been surprised at the reaction? No, definitely not. Uh, it's embarrassing to me. I do my best to keep it together. <laughs> I can't keep it in. Yes, I'm a crier. <laughs> Even as a young boy, I was a crier. It's a New York show next week. Uh, yeah. Any chance you could get uh, President Trump there? I I would guess that he's he's not planning to visit me anytime soon. I think um, he and Sean Hannity have date night uh, on those nights, so it's tough to break away. Would you like to have Donald Trump on the show? Absolutely. I, I have a lot of questions for Donald Trump. What would be your first one? 
Well, I really, I mean, maybe this is crazy, but I feel like I could turn him around on a couple of things. I, you know, this after going toe to toe with Trump's son, Donald Jr. on Twitter this week. He was calling you out uh, along with other liberal Hollywood uh, elite saying that people were late in the game uh, to talk about. Well, Harvey he's an Weinstein. idiot. Let's just start with that. This is a, this is an imbecile that um, is seen, whose job seems to be tweeting as far as I can tell. But with that said, I do admire that he's very loyal to his father. First of all, the Harvey Weinstein thing, people like this false equivalence as if that somehow is equivalent to what happened in Las Vegas. I mean, Harvey Weinstein is not a person I, is not a friend of mine. I'm not in the movie business. And I'll add that that story came out, like, I think moments before we went to tape on Thursday, and we didn't have a show on Friday. So it, You addressed it on the following Monday. Yeah. So, you know, of course, that was, uh, it's a convenient. Now, what, what they're doing now is they're trying to drag up any kind of, especially these gun nuts, trying to drag any, like, take any comedy bit I did out of context and use it as some kind of proof. They're saying that I'm calling myself the moral conscience of America, which I most certainly never did and most certainly never would. <laughs> So you have some surprises in store for people at home when they're watching next week. We do have surprises. If some people that are going to show up, we have some events that I think will be meaningful to tell people about. And we hope it'll be a great week. Yeah. And Kimmel told me he is going to continue to take on serious topics, including health care. Overnight, he tweeted about the health care news, Trump ending Obamacare payments that subsidize insurance for millions of poor Americans. Kimmel saying, but wait, he said, I am going to take care of everybody everybody's going to be taken care of much better than they're taken care of now. Something Trump said in an interview back in 2015. And also, I, as I was interviewing uh, Jimmy, I noticed on his Twitter feed, his bio says, ready to serve. And I asked him if he was serious. Could we ever see a President Kimmel? And he said, believe me, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> he, he does. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast, 16th of October, year of our Lord, 2017. That was Jimmy Kimmel basically telling us we're all gun nuts and you have to take things in context when you're a sexist. But that isn't the only stupid. Right off the bat, before we get in a close the loop, Project Veritas is responded by the executive ever editor of the New York Times. And, you know, I'll let the tweeters handle it, but this is what he said. It was an undercover operation which is James O'Keefe, who I think is a despicable who runs a despicable operation. He essentially tries to catch people from what he sees as the left-wing media saying inappropriate things. He caught a kid, a guy in the tw- in his 20s. They portray him as a very powerful figure in the New York Times. I've never met him. Starting six months ago, and he was very entry-level job at NYT. And he said things that he shouldn't have said. And he said th- things that, you know, were damaging. And I'll deal with that. But the greater sin wasn't his. It was theirs. They sent a young woman in a part of their undercover operation who essentially made him think he was developing a friendship. He said really stupid stuff. He said he was Jim Comey's grandson. He said he had once worked undercover. Essentially, he said stuff he shouldn't have said. But his sin was a sin of foolishness, and it violated our policies. The sin was greater. Their sin was greater. Their sin was a sin of lying and subterfuge. They're just awful. I love how the tweeters, Jeremy Barr. Interesting, this is Dean Banquet talking last night about Project Veritas. It was all on YouTube. And trapping an audience strategy editor. <clears throat> so why is undercover video journalism a mortal sin when managed by James O'Keefe, but not when it's a Soros-funded? 
That's from Project Veritas. This reflects more on Banquet than it does on O'Keefe. The article they actually put up, Opinion, Undercover with the Alt-Right, a Swedish graduate student infiltrates far-right groups in the United States and Europe. This is what he saw. That's their story. That's his, that's their story. They do it all the time. How about 47%? Illegal in the state of California. Is that okay? I mean, you said the kids said the words. They're true. But he was foolish. Why is it okay for the left to do things, but not the right? Oh, I know. Hypocrisy. Josh Whedon, racism, misogyny, war on poor, war on press, possibly, actually war, some good puns. Now, we don't need Friday Twitter, because he was doing the Women's Friday stuff. Ian McKelvey, hypocrites should know that their opinion is more hurtful than helpful, but they don't because hypocrisy. Varick, just stop. Just make a good movie and stop tweeting. And Melissa Milana came back tomorrow for the 13th. will be the first day in 10 years that I don't tweet. And this was just a huge thing for women of the left. Mark Dice, take your time. Maybe take a month or two. Vince Gattata, yeah, this should make up for you covering for Harvey. Not Gary Payton for the women who have been silenced, and you're going to help that by continued silence. Yeah. Aaron, I wasn't silent when I was molested by a professor, and I won't be silent now. Have fun, Hollyweird. You were silent for too long. Jack, we see voices being silenced on Twitter every day. We've been working to counteract this for past two years. So I read this on our thread, and I realize this motherfucker works for Twitter. And he goes on and has another little tweet rage. We prioritized this 2016. We updated our policies and increased the size of our teams. It wasn't enough. In 2017, we made our top priority made a lot of progress. Today, we saw voices silencing themselves and voices speaking out because we're still not doing enough. Today, we saw voices silence themselves and voices speaking out because we're still not doing enough. I just reread the same one, but working intensely over the past few months and focused today on making some critical decisions. Decide to take more aggressive stances in our rules and how we enforce them. New rules around unwanted sexual advances, non-consensual nudity, hate symbols, violent groups, and tweets that glorify violence. These changes will start rolling out in the next few weeks. More to share next week. So what does that really mean? Oh, we're going to silence conservatives. Got it. But what's new? New York, uh, sorry, Washington Post literally did an article. Hashtag women's boycott. Twitter revised post-election conversation about the lack of solidarity among women. For some women, blocking Rose McGowan was the last straw. Twitter said it banned an actress best known for her role was charmed on Thursday because she tweeted a private phone number, a practice that violates the service. But after significant criticism, the social media platform lifted the suspension and said it would be clear about these policies in the future. Women across Twitterverse... Twitter... It's so gay. Why do they make these stupid things? Um, Expressed their frustration of McGowan incident, a chapter in a saga involving allegations about Weinstein. I just paraphrase. Some saw Twitter's tweetment. Twitter's tweetment. Uh, McGowan was the latest example of women and their particular rape survivors being silenced when they attempt to bring attention to the issue affecting their gender. 
When Twitter returned McGowan's access, she continued to bring attention to the topic of sexual assault in Hollywood. H.W. rate me, she tweeted. H.W. is Weinstein, the embattled former Weinstein company. Oh, are you sure? Women responded to Twitter crackdown on McGowan by vowing to leave Twitter all day Friday to show their solidarity with the actress. The campaign to boycott appeared to have been gun with Kelly Ellis, a software engineer. Individuals opting out doesn't seem to make a dent. What if women boycott Twitter for one day along with the men who stand with us? Many high-profile individuals join, including musicians, authors, and journalists. When women support each other, incredible things happen. See ya, Twitter, Michelle Branch. Others see it as a double standard in which women of color are expected to support mistreatment of famous, wealthy, and white women. But the same level of support aren't reciprocated. Y'all don't understand black people outside our usefulness of stealable label or our sidekick token potential, and it shows. Black women aren't worthy of rallying around and protecting after our nudes are leaked or we're abused or racist trolls on social media. Women boycott Twitter seems to be we need women... POC to be our mules, but 53% of us still voted for Trump and will continue to steal your culture. <laughs> I, I just stop. I'm not reading the, I know, I'm not reading anymore. So basically, their whole entire thing turned into what about black people? The white people are raped. And black people are pissed because it ain't about them on Twitter? Really? Black women? What the fuck? But then it came to the end. Ava DuVernay calling white women allies to recognize the conflict of hashtag white women boycott Twitter for women of color who haven't received support on similar issues. Alyssa Milano, we were silent and they heard us. Master Julianas, we heard a distinct lack of whining. Yesterday was so quiet, I recommended you do it again and again. Ruby Rockstar, sheesh. I was truly enjoying the respite. Sad it's over. Would you all consider doing a permanent silence on Twitter? And that's how that little shindig ended. And I just mock it all. Judicial Watch, before we close, because I want to get this all in. They got their hands on 30 pages of documents that the FBI had lost. Basically, this is all tarmac gate. Mm-hmm. So what they broke down, uh, first they said they had no documents, but now the FBI just told us that the FBI located 30 pages of documents related to June 27, 2016 meeting, and it proposed to produce a non-exempt material no later than November 30th. This is a response to our Freedom Information Act that they put in. All records of communications, blah, 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 blah. All records related to the meeting between these two nut fucks. The FBI originally informed us that it didn't locate any records. However, in a related case, the Justice Department located emails in which Justice Department officials wrote that they had communicated with the FBI as a result by letter dated upon. Upon further review, we subsequently determined potentially responsive documents may exist. Surprisingly, the Trump Justice Department refused to disclose the talking points developed by Obama Justice Department. 
On June 27th, Attorney General Lynch met privately, blah, 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 blah. And later on in there, they talk about, in 2015, a political action committee run by McAuliffe, a close friend and political supporter, Bill and Hillary Clinton, donated the 500000 to Jill McCabe, wife of McCabe, who was then running Virginia State Senate. Also, the Virginia Democratic Party, over which McAuliffe had significantly influenced, donated an additional 207000 to Jill McCabe. In July 2015, Andrew McCabe was in charge of the FBI Washington, D.C. field office, which provided personal resources to the Clinton email probe. Judicial Watch has several lawsuits about this scandal. That was on the back end, and I don't know why they didn't put it on the front end. Let's close the loop. FBI is investigating multiple allegations of Puerto Rican politicians withholding aid. And the number one is that Skankasaurus who somehow in a major, major, no power, island destroyed hurricane, shitted herself homemade t-shirts. GQ writer rages against Trump-controlled ESPN for feeding hill to the wolves. This is a real article. Drew McGargy demonstrating he can go toe-to-toe with his GQ rage mate, Keith Oberman, when it comes to pumping out vile, frothing outrage. McGargy cranked up Venom Flow to the extreme max of this tirade on how ESPN fed anchor Jamel Hill to the wolves when it suspended her. He insinuated that the liberal sports network is following the wishes of Trump and his supporters. Hill got off practically scot-free last month, which called Trump a white supremacist, but a couple days ago she was suspended for two weeks after suggesting sponsors boycott the Dallas Cowboys for making their players stand for the national anthem. Early on, McGarry admitted that some of the Cowboys sponsors are also ESPN sponsors, and the average employee knows that you don't give a fuck with, you don't go fuck with the gravy train. But then he turned on his hate afterburners and carpet bombed Trump. Hill, of course, was already forced to apologize earlier this fall when she called President Trump a white supremacist. Never mind that such a label is wholly appropriate for Trump, given his history of discrimination in real estate, his support for blatantly oppressive policies, and his farthest defense of Nazis. And never mind that outrage over Hill's tweet came from phony megabots and disingenuous racists who perceived an injustice for others as an injustice to them. To McNary, those conservatives gave ESPN a cheap excuse to discipline Hill. They got the puds who read Daily Caller off their backs. This is ESPN going, sorry, the mouthy lady was mad at all the racism. And in the process, they offered up Hill, whose only crime was to be too accurate in speaking her mind. Why is every time somebody on the left goes too far, the rest of the media comes in and helps them? I just, I don't understand. I, I, I just don't understand. The whole thing makes no goddamn sense to me. You don't see it on the right. Which is a perfect segue into Weinstein. It's true Anthony Bourdain tinkered around in the Twitter kitchen until he discovered the recipe for major damn backlash. Anthony Bourdain. And I have to say, Hillary's interview with Farik Zakaria was shameful in his deflection and disingenuousness. Know what Hillary Clinton is? Not. 
She's not stupid or unsophisticated about the world. The Weinstein story has been out there for years. Mindless Hillary hate aside, this was a terrible response to questions about a friend who's been tormenting women for decades. I had met Hillary Clinton. I liked her. I admire much about her. This interview was a real disappointment. Secretary Clinton was one of the most intelligent, well-prepared, well-briefed politicians ever. So, yes, I'd hope for a better response. Brian Fallon, go eat a scorpion or something. Adam Parkamenko. Another reporter. On Hillary Clinton's wedding anniversary, Bourdain had nothing better to do than attack her. Sad. Like, why would we know it's her wedding anniversary? Nick Merrill, another spokesman for Hillary. Seriously, Bourdain, get a grip. She did an honest interview condemning HW as returning contributions. I'm tossing all my lucky peach mags. Rob Flaherty, seems to me like a woman's secretary of state. Wouldn't have heard them in a lot less complicit than the male TV chef who had. Oh, so you're the fucker. Oh, okay. John Zal, you misspelled. I apologize for contributing to this ridiculous narrative that turns a focus on Hillary Clinton, who is in no way responsible for Harvey Weinstein. Tony Posansky, another reporter. What's more disappointing is that you are more critical of Hillary Clinton than you are Harvey Weinstein. J.D. Gregory, know what Hillary Clinton is not? Responsible for this. And this goes on. Tom Watson, Susan Manshower, Spooky Andrea Grimes, HRC persists. That's an actual person. You know what else Hillary's not? She's not gossip. People who don't gossip seldom get to told to gossip what Weinstein crimes were till now. Are you serious? She's so above the fray, she never knew it. But then it wasn't good enough. The serious moon bats, fucking trash. I never thought I'd say this, but Bourdain is as bad as the rest of the intellectually lazy white male pundits. <laughs> so, we talked about the Twitter banning, all that kind of shit. It looks as though Rose McGowan's account was suspended. Bob Weinstein is a piece of shit. They all knew it. Wow, Twitter, you got Donald Trump trying to inhibit freedom of press, but you suspended... Rose McGowan, because she's called out Ben Affleck. And then we start getting into all this shit. She drops the ball about Affleck. <clears throat> ben Rhodes, of all the voices of silence on Twitter, Rose McGowan is strange. Then Twitter safety explained it, like we talked about in the intro. But that's it. I don't see any outrage anywhere else. She gets back in, she goes, it's on. Jeff Bezos... I told the head of your studio that H.W. raped me over and over. I said it. He said it hadn't been proven. I said I was the proof. Jeff Bezos, I had already sold a script I wrote to your studio. It was in development when her and a Weinstein bailout was in the works. Jeff Bezos, I forcibly begged studio, had to do the right thing. I was ignored. Deal was done. Amazon won a dirty Oscar. Jeff Bezos, I called my attorney and said I want to get my script back, but before I could, Amazon Studios called to say my show was dead. Jeff Bezos, I'm going calling on you to stop funding rapists, alleged pedos, and sexual harassers. I love Amazon, but there's rotten Hollywood. Jeff Bezos, be the change you want to see in the world. Stand with truth. Amazon! They all get together. What did I tell you? Amazon, Google, fucking Microsoft. 
All liberals. And you say, well, this has nothing to do with the politics. Yes, it does. This guy was a huge bundler. This has nothing to do with his power in Hollywood. It was his power in Washington. Anne-Marie Tendler. I would also love to get an apology from Ben Affleck, who grabbed my ass. It's another Ben Affleck. He does a longer I'm sorry. I acted inappropriately toward Miss Burton, and I sincerely apologize. Anthony Bailey, something less believable than your acting. Seth MacFarlane's trying to run away, and he says, Doug Powers, translation, I knew of a specific incident, kept my mouth shut, but made Weinstein jokes, so I kind of braid if you think about it. (laughs) Which is what he basically said. Dan Yasher Ali, I just received this statement from Karel Devling. I don't know who that is. Kara Devling. Detailing your experience with Harvey Weinstein. Thank you, Kara. And it's the same shit. Bathrobe, jerky jerky, sucky fucky. Michelle Lannister, who are these assistants to? May the karma bus find them. That's the thing about it. All these assistants do. They didn't say shit either. Then... Actress Kate Beckinsale accusing Harvey Weinstein of hitting on her when she was 17, as well as calling her cunt and allegedly harming her career after she rebuffed him. What a slime ball. Big article. Breaks it down. Then there's James Vanderbeek. For anyone judging the women who stay silent, read this. Read this for perspective, also for anyone brushing off harassment as boys being boys. What Weinstein is being accused of as criminal, what he's admitted to is unacceptable in an industry. I applaud everyone, I applaud everyone speaking out. I've had my ass grabbed by older powerful men. I've had them corner me in inappropriate sex conversations when I was much younger. I understand the unwarranted shame, powerlessness of inability to blow the whistle. There's a power dynamic that feels impossible to overcome. Yeah. That's the second guy that's come out. Heather Unruh. The Weinstein scandal has emboldened me. Hashtag truth. I was a Kevin Spacey fan until he assaulted a loved one. Time the dominoes fall. Kevin Spacey's being accused. Oliver Stone. First, this happened. Stone addressed the international media Friday morning at the Busan International Film Festival in South Korea, where he is serving as the chair of his events competition jury. It wasn't long before he was asked his reaction to the Weinstein allegations. I am a believer that you wait until this thing gets to trial. I believe a man should be condemned by a vigilante system. It's not easy that he's going through either. During the period he was a rival, I never did business with him and didn't really know him. I've heard horror stories on everyone in the business, so I'm not going to comment on gossip. I'll wait and see which is the right thing to do. And then this. The Oscar-winning director says he no longer will direct his functional television debut, Guantanamo, as long as Weinstein Company remains involved. Hmm. You know why he's doing that? Hollywood reporter Oliver Stone accused groping TV actors in the early 90s. Carrie Stevens has come forward. He grabbed her boobies. Courtney Love comes out. Although I wasn't one of his victims, I eternally banned by CAA for speaking out. We found a video, 2005, from the red carpet event for Pamela Anderson Comedy Central Roast. Courtney Love is asked by Natasha Leggero if she has advice for young women trying to make it to Hollywood. She hesitates, fearing what she says could land her in court, but then goes for it, warning women to decline an invite to Weinstein's swanky Beverly Hills Hotel. Hmm. Yeah. 
for a moment of media zen to understand how the media is handling this, because this is really hard on them, because if they hit their home team, Matt Dowd, who would have predicted the Hollywood that Hollywood has greater sense of moral values in the value voter meeting weekend. This is all in response because they kicked him out of the film association. Rura Ray. That sentiment would have merit had the suspension happened prior to the Academy being shamed by the outing. They knew all along. The irreverent. Please. They are only doing this now because everyone has a pile on Harvey How now to pretend they aren't complicit in his criminal activities. Somebody summed up what I said to him. Just because you keep tweeting shit doesn't make it true. And all I have to say is Polanski. He is still under charges for fucking rape of a fucking child. And has never come back to the country. He's still part of the whole shindig. So shut the fuck up. Jane Fonda. I knew about Weinstein. And I'm ashamed. You can go over to North Korea and or North Vietnam. And talk against American soldiers, but you can't out Weinstein. That's all I have to say. Rob Reiner says Harvey Weinstein is bad, but Donald Trump is worse. <laughs> Brian B. is saying what I've been saying forever. Remember when liberals were all fed up with whataboutism? I remember. Then a former Olympian, Dominique Makanu. Remember her, but I don't remember her last name because I can't say it right. Something is eerily familiar about the culture and gymnastics of the culture in Hollywood, except ours deal dealt with minors too. I'm hopeful that the culture in our sport is getting cleaned up, as I hope it will in Hollywood. So sad that many knew, like in our sport, but we're afraid, and those that did speak out were shunned. I see a terrible pattern here. Time to clean house everywhere. Lots of good people in both gymnastics and Hollywood, but many stood by and were silent. Many even are still today in gymnastics. And then she relays about her being sexually assaulted. David Mack. Ed Asner is a great, is a guest on MSDNC to talk about Hollywood reaction to Weinstein. He asked a female anchor for a kiss. At the end of this interview about Weinstein and other topics, Asner tells Chris Jansing, you still owe me a kiss. I've been guilty at times of using my overpowering masculinity to beg for kisses like I did when I opened with a conversation with you. But he still did it. Variety. Kate Winslet on Harvey Weinstein scandal. The fact that these women are starting to speak out about the gross misconduct of one of our most important and well-regarded film producer is incredibly brave. And has been deeply shocking to hear. The way Harvey Weinstein has treated these vulnerable, talented young women is not the way women should ever be treated. I have no doubt that for these women, the time has been and to continues to be extremely traumatic, blah, 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 blah. Winslet. The offense of which Weinstein is accused are disgraceful, appalling, degrading, and vile, which raises an important question. If Weinstein so repulses, if Weinstein so repulses her, why is she cool working with other members of the Hollywood Sexual Predator Club? She wants a job, that's why. Angie Everhart says Harvey Weinstein pleasured himself in front of her. <clears throat> I just arrived and I was sleeping. I was in my bed. She began. I wake up and Harvey is standing above me. That alone is frightening. All of a sudden he takes his pants down and starts doing his stuff. He's blocking the door. I can't get out and I don't know how to say this on the radio, but he finishes on the carpet floor. Melissa Silverstein, Kate Winslet on Harvey Weinstein. A reminder, her next film is directed by Woody Allen. They don't care. They just don't care. 
Jake Tapper, April 3rd, 2015. How do powerful predators get away with their crimes? Exhibit A. Roman Polanski. New York Post, today's cover. The model accusing Harvey Weinstein of molestation tried to score a movie role. They're trying to dog the women. So Jake Tapper takes them to task. You know how to, to, how do predators such as Weinstein get away with this for so long? One part of it, complicit journalists who attack accusers. The pictures they put up of this woman makes her look like a total skankosaurus. Now HuffPo, the liberal icon, is dogging NBC and they're doing long exposés, which I won't read about NBC News, didn't give a fuck. So to the night, late night guys, because you already heard Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel, and Saturday Night Live did half-hearted shit during the update, but, you know, and they did one skit about women in Hollywood, and it was just half-assed. They didn't really give a shit. Seth Myers tried to explain why it's taken so long to speak up. I was not prepared to talk about something as tricky as sexual assault in a way that felt appropriate that quickly. That's what he said. But he can instantly talk about Russia, 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 which isn't true. Okay. Seth Ferris, translation. I needed to make absolutely sure it was safe to say bad things about one of our own. Celebs bash Weinstein praise rape rapper Eminem for his fuck you to Trump supporters. So during this time that we've been away, let me get a shot of Monster. Okay. Okay, that probably didn't sound too good on recording, but you know what? I gotta wake up. It's 6 a.m. Eminem came out and made a big attack on Trump. The left loved it. But it's sticky. Cause we'll find out why in a second. So, in a BET Awards on October 10th, rapper Eminem released a four-minute rap rant on Trump and video, which caused NPR to say Eminem returned to relevance last night. <laughs> Didn't know we heard from him ever. In the rap, he called Trump, other, among other things, kamikaze that will probably cause a nuclear holocaust to race the 94-year-old grandpa, Donald the Bitch. Any fan of mine who's supporter of his, I'm drawing in the sand a line. You're either for or against. If you can't decide who you like more in your split on who you should stand by, I'll do it for you with this fuck you. We'll see how Seth Myers did the very same thing on his show. So, of course, the left loved it. Um, Kaepernick liked it. Rosie O'Donnell, I appreciate you. Jack Antonoff from the band Bleachers tweeted, Eminem delivers the clearest and most beautiful anti-Trump moment. Deborah Messing from Will and Grace, which is failing miserable, posted the story saying, Wow, watch Eminem tell his Trump-loving fans to fuck off in freestyle rap. LeBron retweeted a lyric from the video, one that called Trump racist. Even Ellen DeGeneres tweeted her support for Eminem. Well, everyone praises Eminem for dissing Trump and rightfully denounced and produced Harvey Weinstein. It's important to remember, this is a rapper who released a song called Stay Wide Awake, where he sang about raping and assaulting a girl. The lyrics 
I enter Central Park. It's dark. It's winter in December. I see my target with my car and park and approach my her tender. Young girl by the name of Brenda and I pretend to befriend her. Sit down beside her like a spider. Hi there, girl. You might have heard of me before. See, whore, you're the kind of girl that I'd assault and rape and figure why not try to make your pussy wider. Fuck you with an umbrella, then it open it up. Well, that shit's inside ya. Yeah, that's... He did another one, no favors. The RNG Rape is No Joke Foundation branded him and a big Sean rape rappers and said it strongly urged fans to boycott them. But it's just not those two. Here's an article that actually came out on the Daily Caller because, you know, the left's not going to do it. They're too busy jerking off like Weinstein to Eminem's rap. Here are 19 of the most violent lyrics about women from Eminem. Number one. So what's it gonna be? Put that shit away, Iggy. You don't want to blow that rape whistle on me. Scream. I love it. For I get lost with the getting off. I, I can't really rap, so I'm just kind of putting some beat to it. Number two, don't you get it, bitch? No one can hear you. Now shut the fuck up and get that what's coming to you. You were supposed to love me, Kim choking. Now bleed, bitch, bleed, bleed, bitch, bleed, bleed. Yeah, that, that's nice. Number three, my words are like a dagger with a jagged edge. And it goes on a bunch of shit. Four, ain't no one safe from non-believers. There ain't none. I even make bitches I rape come. Five, slut, you think I won't choke no whore till the vocal cords don't work in your throat no more? Shut up, slut. You're fucking causing too much chaos. Kill you. Six, you fags all think it's a game till I want walk a flock of flames. Off of planking, tell me what the fuck are you thinking, a little gay-looking boy so gay I can barely say it. With a straight-face-looking boy. You won't even listen, so fuck it. This is number seven. I'm trying to stop you from breathing. I put both hands in your throat. I sit on top of you, squeezing. And that was about a girl. Eight, but I might fight for gay rights, especially if they dyke is more of a knockout than Jana Rice. Nine, got pissed off and ripped Pamela Lee's tits off. Oh, that's nice. Number 10. I mean, I really want you bad, you cunt. Not Nick, you had your fun. I've come to kick it when you sack that chump. Nick Cannon, you prick. And he's talking about some girl. 11. And fuck Ann Coulter with the clam poster with the lamp post with the door hanging shutter. That's from No Favors. 12. Bitch get her hit in the bush like Margot Kidder. Jumped out, killed the bitch and did her. Used to let the babysitter suck my dick when I was littler. Smoke a blunt when I'm titty fucking Bette Midler. That's low down dirty. 13. Doing too much rush and my face flushed like red blush. Then I went to Jim Beam. That's when my face grade. Went to Jim in eighth grade. Raped the women's swim team. Don't make, take me for a joke. I'm no comedian. That team and comedian doesn't really work, but whatever. Just don't give a fuck was the name of that song. Other ones, As the World. Grabbing that bitch by her hair, drug her across the ground. Took her up to the highest diamond board and tossed her down. Sorry, coach, it's too late to tell me stop while I drop this bitch face down and watch her belly flop. That's so nice. 15. My baby's mom bitch made me an angry blonde, so I made me a song, killed her, and put Haley on. That song's called Remember Me. The next one's The Real Slim Shady. What he's famous for. Half of you critics can't even stomach me, let alone stand me, but Slim, what if you win? Wouldn't it be weird? Why do you guys could just lie, why, so you guys could just lie to get me here, so you can sit me here next to Britney Spears, shit, Christine Alligator, better switch me chairs, go ahead and sit next to Carson Daly and Fred Durst, and I hear him argue over who, 
who she gave head to first. Who knew is another great song. Fuck that. Take drugs, rape sluts, make fun of gay clubs, men who wear makeup. Well, that's even anti-fucking gay. There's like three of them in here so far. 18. This is called Stan. Slee Slim, shut up. I'm trying to talk. Hey, Slim, that's my girlfriend screaming in the trunk. But I didn't slit her throat. I just tied her up. See, I ain't like you because if she suffocates, she'll suffer more. And then she'll die too. Well, gotta go. I'm almost out of the bridge now. Oh, shit. I forgot. How am I supposed to send this shit out? And the last beautiful thing. Ex-girlfriend. I used to love her too bad I had to put a slug through her, dumped her body in the trash like I never knew her. Blood running down the gutter into the sewer, body stumped for weeks like a horseman knew her. Yeah, that's who the left loves now. Media loves it, CNN loves it, everybody loves it. We're going to play actual media loving it. But you know, hey, let's not, let's just, let's just be fucking hypocritical. J.K. Rowling! Her take on this whole thing, these are dark times for liberals. We take comfort where we can. Oh, okay. (laughs) And then during all this, Alec Baldwin. How many times on the show have I talked about Alec Baldwin and the hypocrisy of the left? Well, here's another one. Has drink-throwing meltdown on on New York City streets. Alec Baldwin headlines Iowa Democrat event. Alec Baldwin weighs in on Sean Spicer's Emmy cameo. Alec Baldwin gets oddly flirty with podcast guests. Oprah, Alec Baldwin among list of Emmy presenters. Those are all the articles that are attached to it. But he did this. Explosive actor Alec Baldwin, who came on this weekend to do his anti-Trump bullshit as the cold open which I fast forward through on Saturday Night Live, which I fast forward through most of the show because they had the Islamist on. He's a total Islamist. He's from Pakistan. He's a Muslim, and he's been very anti-American on the war on terror. So, I mean, I'm not saying he's a fucking terrorist, but he sides with the terrorist, whatever the fuck his name. I can't remember. Some fucking Pakistani dude. Um, I had another epic meltdown on streets of New York this week. A fellow pedestrian at University Park in 11th Street tells us that the 30 Rock star was seen in a verbal exchange with a presumably reckless motorist that included insults and soft drink throwing. Baldwin called the driver of a big black SUV a meatball, kept asking him and the passenger to get out, said the witness, and noticed the incident after it had already begun. When he, when the people in SUV wouldn't, SUV wouldn't get out, Alec got on his phone and started videotaping. They pulled away right after, and he took a pic of their license plate and threw his extra-large drink in the street. Then he just went on his angry way. Baldwin Rep had no comment. In 2014, the actor was arrested in the same area for biking the wrong way down Fifth Avenue, reportedly becoming belligerent and arguing with cops. He also went on a Twitter tirade against the Upper West Side Starbucks barista in 2011 and believed a homophobic rant against a post photographer in 2013. Somehow, that didn't make the news. But he was on SNL. Yeah. Brian Seltzer is going back and forth. But to show you how bad the left is on this topic, the one time he gets it right, it pushes him back to being wrong because the left kills him. Harvey Weinstein filled in for Pierce Morgan on CNN for one night in 2012. His guest for the hour was Bill Clinton. Because remember, last podcast, we talked about he pulled out the Trump tape to prove that, well, Weinstein's bad, but Trump's worse, or whatever. The what-about-isms that are supposed to be so wrong for the liberals. 
These are the responses. Very disappointed in you, Brian. This is how we got this president. What does his angle add to the story? He interviewed Bill. Okay, and so? Wow, five years ago, two famous men appeared on TV together. Oh, God, stop with the Clinton stuff. This is happening right now. Who gives a fuck? Healthcare is being destroyed. Brian, consider what it would be like when people tar you for who you've interviewed or appeared with. You're a reporter. Leave it to TMZ. There you go, Brian. Sweet flip back to try and make it about the Clintons. So Pepper Frog, a huge Christian Twitter user, decided to attack. I'm going to read hers because we read all these tirades from the left. We don't really read far right tirades. And I don't say far right like the Klan, Nazis. She's a Christian. My thoughts on Hollywood feminists who remain silent while Wallstein assaulted women. They stem from personal experience. Have a lifetime ago was sexually assaulted by a man in a position of authority hard as it was within 12 hours in the police station. Initially, I was warned that it was my word against an esteemed physician and that it likely wouldn't go anywhere. After weeks of interviews, they arrested him. Two days later, the detective phone let me know that four other women had come forward, which boded well for the case. I spent the next year being deposed, testifying in front of medical board and ultimately in a court of law. In the meantime, my name had been accidentally released. Victims were supposed to remain protected for the weeks up to the trial. My name and face were in a paper along with details of the assault. It was humiliating, especially as a young professional Professor. Christian College, during the tr- trial, I had to enter the courthouse past a line of picketers screaming names at me because they knew he would never do anything so disgusting. I was ruining my, his career and his family because I was angry, greedy, insane, immoral. I had my intentions, my morality, and my integrity questioned. My private medical history was no longer private. In the end, he was stripped of his medical license and spent four years in prison after it was finished and received many letters from women, more than a dozen which thanked me because he had done some something similar to them, where I briefly felt proud that I had brought this pervert to justice. I couldn't help but per- be resentful. If one of these women had come forward when he'd assaulted them, I would never have had to go through the hell that I did. I got... I get not having the guts to come forward. You may lose a lot, but you don't get to stand in front of the world in a $14,000 dress and whine on how women don't have equal rights. To me, feminism isn't about fighting for rights that women largely already have. I'm, it's standing up each in our own way to direct impact and empower and protect women. In our lives, if our influence is great enough, perhaps we can empower and protect women in countries where our sisters truly have few rights. But don't be fooled into thinking you can truly right or wrong and stay comfortable. That's not how it works. Trust me. End. She's right. But once again, it has nothing to do with this power. It's same teamisms. Flutist Kim. I can't bear to look, but my sharing of these facts have incited William Shatner to attack me again. And this I put in because now this girl is attacking him and he did nothing. Hello, line fan. Yes, she still has her tweets up. Check out this harassment. All because I called her out because she tried to blame me because she didn't get her way. She's comparing herself with Morose McGowan. Kim is delusional if she thinks that there is any comparison. I, I had to report that one because I've seen three of these already. Now women on the left are attacking right men for little things to try to even the score, which is just sad. So, the Hill reported that in an interview with UK's Channel 4 News Saturday, Hillary Clinton said the Americans just elected someone in mentally sexual assault to the presidency. For some crazy reason, though, the Hill left the word just, not that it made a tweet in it was true, 
It's that admitting part that gives her cover, though. The Hill, Clinton, we elected someone who committed sexual assault to be president. Ian Bremmer, why yes. Twice. Yes. But that was 25 years ago. Which is the biggest thing I want to come out with again. I want to make sure we understand moon fruit bat liberals out there in California and you resistance members. Trump was never fucking charged with shit. Bubba Clinton was. Numerous times. Chelsea Clinton literally fled the scene when asked what she was going to do with the money that he gave to the Clinton Foundation. She just ran away. Then Michael Ian Black last week that was saying, but Trump, but Trump, but Trump, did this. I have to say, Harvey's tactics, hotel exposure, etc. sound a lot like Paula Jones claimed about Bill Clinton. We Dems should acknowledge and own it. I don't think Dems have ever come to terms with allegations against Bill. A lot of uncomfortable hair twirling and floor gazing. The left starts attacking him. One, Shauna. I think that's partly because it seems Hillary's always mentioned in the same breath. I'm okay blaming him, but not her. They've been conflated. No doubt. And then he goes on to say, well, we do the right thing in the end. But you don't, Michael Ian Blatt. You don't. His last tweet. I only say this because I think I've been guilty of doing this in the past, including with Bill Clinton, which is what started this conversation. Yeah. The left has never come to terms with Bill Clinton. They've ignored it. They've buried it. And they've said, look at the right. But you condoned it. So while Hillary's up there on a stage and she's going to do it for the next couple of weeks about we elected a sexual pervert. Yeah, we did. Twice. Twice. We've done it. Because your husband was the first. So a reporter decided to outwrap Eminem. And that'll take us to our tweet of the days. This is a great takedown. A better takedown than I could do of Eminem. Even though I just read you 19 songs about him being homophobic and sexist. But this is for a woman. Which in our world means more than some old guy on a podcast. Well, the BET Hip Hop Awards air tonight. Rapper Eminem used the opportunity to let the world know what he thinks about President Trump. Listen. Wait, how was I going to start this off? Wait, what did Hillary Clinton tell me to say again? That's an awfully hot coffee pot. Should I drop it on Donald Trump? Probably not, but that's all I got. You're talking all this trash on Trump? Man, we all know you're just another Illuminati chump. Got a plan and now I got a hatchet like a damn Apache with a tomahawk. Eminem, you think you're woke, but you're really just a joke. Your freestyle raps, man, they sound like crap. Yeah, and my raps, they don't sound that good, but at least I'm not pretending I'm from the hood. I'ma walk inside a mosque on Ramadan and say a prayer. Oh, so now you want to talk about prayer, Mr. Satanic Illuminati Jihadi. She gets a ma- Ah! I'ma stop. Well, obviously Eminem didn't take his brain force today. Infowarstore.com We better give Obama props. Give Obama props for what? Benghazi? Fast and Furious? And you can keep your doctor, you can keep your healthcare plan? Oh wait, not! Intensity's heightened. Tensions are rising. Trump, when it comes to giving a s***, you're stingy as I am. 
Yeah, you may be stingy, Eminem, but Trump gave over a million dollars of his own money to the victims of Hurricane Harvey. Put up or shut up. It's like we take a step forwards then backwards, but this is his form of distraction. Plus, he gets an enormous reaction when he attacks the NFL. They're kneeling for our flag, acting like it's a tattered old rag, while they're benefiting from the lifestyles that these fallen soldiers never had. So we focus on that instead of talking Puerto Rico. Actually, Puerto Rico got caught with Holden so that idiots like you could go out and scold him. Then says he wants to lower our taxes. Then who's going to pay for his extravagant trips back and forth with his family, his golf resorts and his mansions? Same shit that he tormented Hillary for and he slandered. Yeah, Trump called out the Clinton Foundation from stealing money from the Haiti nation. Bet you don't want to talk about that in your little rap. Then does it more from his endorsement of Bannon, support for the Klansmen. The only KKK loving I've seen is Hillary Clinton kissing all up on Senator Byrd. She needs to get her mouth cleaned. Fork and a dagger in his racist 94-year-old grandpa who keeps ignoring our past historical deplorable factors. I'm sorry, Eminem, you want to talk about racism and bigotry and all this holier-than-thou virtue-signaling crap? Coming from the guy who talks about murdering, raping, and killing women regularly in your music videos, shut up. This is for Colin, ball up a fist. And keep that shit ball. This is for your ass talking all of this trash. He's gonna get rid of all immigrants. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far. He's gonna build that thing up taller than this! Build the wall! Build the wall! Build that wall! Build that wall! And any fan of mine who's a supporter of his, I'm drawing in the sand a line. You're either for or against. Newsflash, Eminem, there's already been a line drawn in the sand. And you know what? You're standing on the side with all the globalists and rich celebrity elitists. And if you can't decide who you like more in your split on who you should stand beside, I'll do it for you with this. You. And by the looks of your album sales, it's apparent that the American people have already done this. We love our military and we love our country. We love our Somalis, we love our Muslims. Oh, they're so good. Oh, they're so sweet. You sold out, sell out, so get the hell out. Americans don't care about another whining celebrity millionaire. tweets of the day Ezra Klein I had 280 character Twitter now I'm back to 140 character Twitter I miss my characters everybody in the world said we don't I decided to take it one level up 
You have all the characters you want to push your religion of progressivism. Why should you get more over here? Another tweet I got. <clears throat> the BSA expands programs to welcome girls from Cub Scouts to the highest ranks of Eagle Scouts. The most amazing thing about this, because I'm just going to paraphrase, the people that were mad weren't really the boys, it was the Girl Scouts, Ed Morrissey. Girl Scouts, hardest hit, and they may have no one else but themselves to blame. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Why? You have the Girl Scouts, the Brownies, but in this weird 2017 world, the Boy Scouts believed they had to let girls in. Just like baseball has to let girls in, but boys can't play softball. I don't understand where we're going with this shit. It makes no goddamn sense. But my, I have a bunch of tweets of the day that I could have used, but I, I, I think there's two little ideas that were the best. Number one, Colin Noir. He's from the NRA. I think this is pretty apropos. Waiting on Hillary Clinton to blame the NRA for Harvey Weinstein, which I think is just hilarious and true. But I couldn't go with it alone because there's actually Twitter accounts for Friday the 13th or Halloween and horrors and all that shit is what I meant to say. So Leatherface and Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th got in a Twitter fight, I guess, if you call it a fight. National Coming Out Day. Leatherface, you see this? Just saying. Jason, I understand today is your day, and also, I sent you a bowl of chili in the mail. You might want to get it quick. <laughs> Questions that always cross my mind. How does the real Michael Myers keep finding these William Shatner masks? Michael Myers. I keep them around my old house whenever I need them. Head tilt. Leatherface. If you ever need a fresh look on your face, let me know. Michael Myers. You wear women faces. No thanks. Hey, there's nothing wrong with looking a little pretty every now and then. Michael Myers back to him. I wouldn't wear a woman's face if I was the last killer on earth. And so I know there's a little sexism in there, but that is our tweet of the day. That little Twitter feud is pretty damn funny. Hey, tweet of the day! Hate tweets. There's so much of it. Hustler founder Larry Flynn offers $10 million for dirt leading to Trump impeachment. Yeah. The left loves that. A guy who objectifies women. Okay. Daily Mail, Hillary Clinton talks to become a professor at Columbia University, which sprouted conservative Twitter. To have a heyday with the courses she could do. Number one, intro to bathroom server management. <laughs> I'm still laughing. Modern perpetual victimhood. Powerful and privileged women's studies. Pandering 200. Intro to smashing cell phones. Finding blame in others. Scapegoating 101. History of entitlement mentality. I don't recall 101. 
and why your grade isn't 50 points higher. <laughs> oh, that's good. Women's March. We are so excited to have Senator Sanders join us at the Women's Convention, October 27th to 29th in Detroit. Jill Flipovakovic, this freaking, I call her sexist because she's a big womanist. 126 million women in America, and you couldn't find one open who is a feminist. Okay. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, my God. Of all weeks, you guys chose this week to announce a man as the woman convention open spinger. Joan Walsh might just be me, but I'd have loved to see a woman keynote the women's convention. And it goes on and on and on. Abigail Shirley, dear man, please remove the phrase as a husband and or a father of daughters from your vocabulary. Women exist outside your bubble. Clint Black, of all people. As a husband and a father of a daughter, I'm confused by your request. <laughs> F. Hensley, and with that last tweet, I may be the very newest Clint Black fan. And I am too. I actually started following him. I thought it was funny. New Republic, the future of the Democratic Party is clear. And the future is Elizabeth Warren. Stephen Miller does the work for me. The future is a 70-year-old Massachusetts elitist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Joe Perticone. I'm told Elizabeth Warren was in Belvar, California last night, less than an hour drive from big wildfires, was holding a re-election fundraiser, fundraiser, was hosted by Steve Silverstein, Dem mega donor, software developer, all public schools in Marin are closed due to employees impacted by the fires. And he tweeted the following pictures. Senator Elizabeth Warren, the influence of money in politics ultimately threatens democracy, the next one, Senator Elizabeth Warren raises $1 million per month ahead of next year's election. It's just like Hillary. I don't understand how... I just... I don't understand how you go all day and rail about big business and about money and politics and you're the worst big business money and politics panderer. I, I think America knows. They see it. Think progress. Ian Milheiser doesn't seem to be very good at thinking. The majority that is Republicans will treat a blue chip slip as simply notification of how you're going to vote, not as an opportunity to black, blackball, McConnell told me. The use of blue slips, he noted, is not a Senate rule and has been honored in the breach over the years. Now it won't be honored at all. Jennifer Bendry, whoa, did McConnell just ask blue slip rules? Means D can't block judicial nominees from home state anymore? Ian Milhauser, this is the most inevitable thing in history of inevitability, and Dems were fools for not doing it themselves when they had the chance. Chase Jennings, utter nonsense. Your charge is that we should have destroyed the Senate before they did? Really? You're an idiot. He then comes back with, of course, the Senate should be destroyed. How do you defend the practice of treating a Californian as 167th of a Wyoming? These people want total power. They want total power when they're the majority, the minority. It's almost disgusting how these political reporters look at things. Because they only look at it from the left. 
Jessica Valentini, or whatever the fuck, the stupid feminist. Imagine how different the world would be if we believed women. The Kennedys and the Clintons wouldn't have gone anywhere, somebody responded back. A lot of feminists trying to twist this to be about Republicans. I don't get it. Dr. Leah Torres fought it out on Twitter yesterday over abortion rights and came up with one of the worst examples yet to justify the practice. We'll take it up in midstream. Justin Williams. By this logic, could I kill a person in coma without committing murder since said person's life was being enabled by an intermediary? Leah Torres, MD. Is that person using your organs to exist? Then yes. If not, then no. Justin Williams. So it's okay to end a life and remove potential sentience if that life's existence requires what you claim to be an infringement on your own? Yeah. Just like you can shoot an invader in your home. Somebody comes back. A baby is the same as someone breaking into your house. Said by a doctor, weep for this world. How a doctor can justify abortion is beyond me. I I don't know how they do that. Into our hypocrisy, Susan Rice, BS about Trump. Talking about the Iran deal. She actually tweeted BS. Benjamin Weingart, BS is something no Benghazi talking point Sunday show mouthpiece has a right to utter. The, the, the Obamaites are losing their minds over this. The ability to undo what they did. But I once again want to make sure all you fucking crazy resistance members understood. If Barack Hussein Obama, the constitutional fucking wizard professor, had done things the right way, there's no way... Trump would be able to do anything. But he went around the system, and that allows somebody else to do the very same thing. Idiots. Philip Rucker. Justin, a reader told me she called White House switchboard to object to Trump Puerto Rico tweets. White House receptionist told her WAPO was fake news. That's a guy from WAPO. Ambery Athlete. Just in, I called White House Switchboard to find out if this is true. White House receptionist told me Philip Rucker is an idiot. This guy ran with this for an entire day. Like, that's not even remotely true. It's not even. They're volunteers. The Switchboard is run by volunteers. They're not political. You're a fucking moron. Matthew Dowd. If you are attacking Hillary related to Weinstein and not holding Trump accountable for his past behaviors, you will be blocked. Careful, folks. He blocked you. Everybody in the world, including Stephen Miller, said Bill Clinton, fire away. He's already blocked me. He's blocked anybody. You say anything to Matt Dowd, you're blocked. And Matt Dowd, remember, used to be objective. But something happened during, he's like Joe Scarborough. During Obama, he migrated to the left. The Hill, Ryan, Puerto Rico needs to get back on its own two feet. He's a real cold-hearted bastard, isn't he? Typical Republican monster, right? None of that was true. None of it. They go to the actual transcript. He never said that. 
His actual statement, yes, we need to make sure Puerto Rico can stand on its own two feet, Ryan told reporters at his weekly news conference. They've already had tough fiscal problems to begin with. We've got to do more to help Puerto Rico rebuild its own economy so that can be self-sufficient. Yeah. That, that's not the same thing. Some might say that what he said was the exact opposite of what the headline was trying to extrapolate, says Benjamin Sano. Then they said Russia used Pokemon Go to interfere in the 2016 election. Oliver Darcy, the Russians used Pokemon Go in their effort to influence the U.S. election. Nick Riccardi tried to. Betsy Woodruff, Hillary, I don't know who created Pokemon Go, but I'm trying to figure out how we get them to Pokemon Go to the polls. Crowd cheers. Yeah. But reportedly, Russia had their own method for that from CNN. One Russian link campaign posting as part of Black Lives Matter movement used Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Tumblr, and Pokemon Go, and even contacted some reporters in an effort to exploit racial tensions and slow discord amongst Americans. CNN has learned. One thing's for sure, the narrative keeps changing rapidly. Nick Short, narrative collapse. Russia hacked the election. Russian spies are everywhere. Russia bought Facebook ads. Russia used Pokemon Go. Azusa, the whole Russia story is now it went from Trump literally colluded with Putin to Russia used Pokemon Go. They won't stop going. They just keep going with every angle they can get because there's nothing there. As I said in the last podcast, if in eight hours you can say Paddock isn't a terrorist, we are now 16 months into we cannot prove shit, but we're still running with it and wasting millions, which I remember under Obama was horrible. Any investigation was horrible. It was a waste of money. Benghazi was a waste of money when four Americans died and nobody took blame for it. Nobody got blamed. New York Times announces addition of first gender editor to its staff. I'm not reading anything else. Paper of record. Nonpartisan, you liberals say. Now they're having a gender editor. Okay. Next one from Opinion, New York Times. Conservatives have a problem with what birth control signifies. Empowering women. Dana Loesch, disingenuous. It's not about birth control. It's about paying for it yourself. GOP proposed OTC, BC, and Democrats opposed. Katie Pavlich. Um, Republicans advocate for making birth control over the counter and Democrats opposed to it with Planned Parenthood. Charles C.W. Cook. This is a lie. The debate is over mandates, not birth control per se, as polling proves. Besides being fantastically dishonest, this is hilariously overwritten. The fact of the matter is, all this birth control thing is, is taking it out of forcing people to provide birth control when they don't have to, and shouldn't have to. And I once again say, Planned Parenthood gets $500 million a year. It's not supposed to be spent on abortions. That provides as much birth control as anybody would ever fucking need. Donald J. Trump, with all the fake news coming out of the NBC and networks, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license? Bad for the country. I put it in hypocrisy, because that's fucking bullshit. President should never fucking say that shit. NBC license is the Constitution, Jonah Goebbels said, and it's true. Tapper tweeted a picture of the Constitution. The fact is, it's true. 
They, you never should say that ever. It's part of the Constitution. All we have to do as Americans is change the fucking channel. Adam Schiff, at what point are we going to silence media critical of the president when we cease to have a First Amendment and a democratic government? He then did this. Just introduced constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United. We must stop vast amount of money that's anonymous from threatening our democracy. Vanity Fair, WAPO, New York Times, CNN, NBC, all just making up stuff and reported as news. Yes, they should have their license evaluated. That's what he said. <laughs> but my favorite birth control thing, because I don't know how that freaking, I, I know I wanted to do a double shift, but I kind of fucked that segment up. Like I fucked up playing Weinstein today. So we're going to play Media Mash and Weinstein back to back because you got to hear it all because it kind of goes together. When this was announced, CNN Live, I I watched it live because I was at work. Trump ends health subsidies for poor people. That Chiron is bad, but the picture they put with it is worse. They literally have two CNN anchors sitting there with mopey faces. They're moping. It's like they rehearsed to make a face. And Omer and Karen tweeted it right after I saw it and said, nailed it. I mean, it is the biggest, it's just the biggest, I just fucking, I, I don't know how you can even pretend to be objective news. When you announce it and you frowny face. And somebody made a joke out. It must have form of sensencia. I swear I actually heard the Price is Right fail sound when I saw his face. And it's true. Oh. But why did they do it? I found this, my friends. Left talking point went out yesterday. Trump administration and Obama subsidies for the poll. This goes from Go Public NPR News. NPRnews.org. And everybody followed suit. CNN did, GQ Magazine, everybody followed suit. They took it from mprnews.org. It was a day early. GQ Magazine. While they may not know the depths of the Weinstein depravity, they certainly had an idea who he was. So as they're doing this, you know op-eds about how but trump's they did attack him and then in this picture they have clinton hillary type bill obama and wiener joy reed yes clearly the biggest problem in our politics is democratic donors clearly i mean odious harvey weinstein gave a whole one million dollars to democratic candidates over 16 years one million i mean he's easily the 11th bigger donor of all times and then she brings up the Koch brothers and I had to cover it in hypocrisy, because once again, that's a fucking anchor on a major network trying to distance Democrats from the fact they take money from fucking anybody while they talk about not taking the money. They bash anybody who does anything wrong sexually on the right, but they condone their own and protect them as they've done with Bill Clinton and Harvey Weinstein. It's a perfect paradigm it's a it's my thesis once again to the hypocrisy of the media the left the religion of progressivism it's okay when your side when alec baldwin gets on a street and curses motherfuckers out it's okay but anybody else does it and we make a big deal it airs 
on the nightly news. So to our media mash, Wallace frets over NFL bowing to Trump. We'll cover that in our stats of the day. Seth Meyer tells Trump supporters to fuck off. Pastor on racist Joey Reid show said cons are truly not Christian conservatives are not really Christians. Yeah, he said it. Seifert said media only knows the truth and reports the truth. And then we'll play the Weinstein mash that I forgot to play in the last segment. And we'll go into stats of the day. Um, is Donald Trump winning this debate? Absolutely. And one of my good friends, a political operative, his classic line that he loves to use is talking about the difference in winning and the difference in being right. And in politics, winning matters more. And Donald Trump is certainly winning. He may not be morally in the right place about this, in my opinion, but he's won the issue and he could, it would actually be better for the, for him if this continued for an entire football season and he had it to fall back on when he doesn't want to engage in real discussion about policy failures. Jonathan, a source of the NFL said that Donald Trump, um, while I don't, I don't disagree with Elisa's analysis, uh, might be winning, he is not making it easier on the NFL. And for every player that takes a kneel, or that, ta- that kneels during the anthem, um, which in religious settings is not a sign of disrespect at all, right. um, they are the voice, they largely see themselves as voices for the voiceless. I cannot imagine the league going And by the way, the, the flag stands for free expression. There's no so worshipping of our flag. The flag is symbolic of these things. These are African-American athletes that are standing up for, for free but, speech. That's what but it's the all messaging about. battle has been lost. Right. That was what the original protest was about. It was Colin Kaepernick protesting yeah. police brutality. It is no longer, it has been twisted into a statement of protest against the flag, protest against the troops, and completely distorted. But that's been distorted by Trump. Let me, by the let way, me just put up way, Trump's My speech. last reading yeah, of the ahead. Constitution, yes. I don't remember the word national it? anthem being in the Constitution. <laughs> Do the framers really want to protect the national Listen, anthem and I'm the with flag? you on this. I'm against so. you on moods. I'm with you I on this. They knew what they wanted. They wanted that fight. At least, is it more pathetic that Pence planned it all as a stunt and wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money, or is it more pathetic that the stunt was called by his boss. I think both are <laughs> pretty equal. I mean, equal time. I, Mike Pence participating in this is just so insidious. It, the, the kind of, you know, acting like he's so above it, this walk that he's tried to pursue where he really is the same stable one, but then he just shows his true colors. He showed his true colors. And I really feel like that was a day that, you know, a football game, but also a celebration of Peyton Manning. And if I'm the, if I'm a Colts fan, I would be pretty annoyed. You got 20 seconds. Okay. I think I'm going to go back to what I was saying before. We're playing on Trump's playing field when we spend all this time talking about social issues that are not important instead of talking about... Well, the NFL has to change This is important, too. This is about criminal justice reform. And the NFL is about to change their justice in the country. You think we should just let the, the president harass the NFL so the owners... They're no, I don't think we should pay week. so much attention to it. So just the, let the, the NFL owners are watching shut down it too the players' Yesterday, Eminem released a freestyle rap video. Did anybody see that? Did anybody see that? In which he took on a number of political and social issues and ended the video by calling on any of his fans who still support Donald Trump to decide between Trump himself. Take a look. And any fan of mine who's a supporter of his, I'm drawing in the sand a line, you're either for or against and if you can't decide who you like more in your split on who you should stand beside, I'll do it for you with this.
Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. And I was inspired by that. So tonight I say to any fans of this show who are also big fans of Donald Trump, it's time to make a decision, guys. Get off the fence. Do you support him? Or do you support this show that constantly mocks and denigrates everything about it? I know it's a tough call, but the time has come to make a decision. Now, I'm not much of a rapper, but here goes. My name is Seth, and I'm here to say, if you like Trump, then go away. all of this, Bishop William Barber of Repairs of the Breach. And Bishop Barber, uh, I want to just on that last point of Judge Roy Moore, it is interesting. He is a darling of the Christian right. Uh, but reading this article this week about how he once stood steadfast against removing segregation and poll taxes from the Alabama Constitution, and yet he fits in fine. Why is that? Well, I tell you, Joy, um, I just can't call it Christian right. It's so, it's so wrong. It's not Christian you know, gun-waving politicians that support segregation is not Christian, it's crazy. And people are somehow being fooled. Uh, and it's time really for there to be a major challenge to this kind of public heresy that we see going on that is so counter uh, the real values of Christianity. One reporter in five now lives in either Washington, New York, or Los Angeles. There are people out in the middle of the country, it's not about bias news it's about they're not getting any news their newspaper has gone away uh, you know they they're getting most of their news now on facebook which is a wonderful thing it's a good way to keep up with your neighbors but you know the things that pop up on facebook have not gone through the same vetting process that you get when you listen to mainstream media or some of the more reliable news sources. Well, There's the, some good sources out there, but there's also some really bad ones. Well, the president would say things like Facebook or certainly something like Twitter is an opportunity to go around the news filter, to go around the East Coast elites like you who are letting the audience know what they should or should not know or what is or isn't true about a story. What would be your response to saying that just... A, a free flow of information is uh, better than the vetting system that you're talking about. Well, uh, if you don't care what's true and what's false, that would be a good way, a good way to go about it. But you know, we we. We kind of check things out, Stephen. I mean, we don't print them and we don't broadcast them unless we've determined that it's true. And traditionally, that was the role of the news media. Look, we don't want a country where the only source of news is the government. That's a totalitarian society. And, and our, our job is to give citizens another carefully collected, accurate set of facts that they can compare to the government's version of events. Then they decide what to do about it. That's our job. That's what the founders meant for us to do. And that's I'm saying that there are people that were the people that did this to both me and Corey yeah. that are still working. They're still out there, and they're some of the richest, most powerful people in this business. And they, are and they do not want the... me saying what I'm saying right now. 
Are you saying that they're pedophiles? Yes. And that yes. they're still in this business? Yes. That's what, yeah, and that's what you were saying well, in your book. When you talk to, talk about, yeah. when you talk to I mean, parents, they want me here right now. Trust Corey, me, they want me dead. There are a lot of parents out yeah. here who want to put their kids in this in this business. They, their kids are cute. They're great actors. Da, da, da. What would you say to a parent who just has the best of intentions, who's coming here with their child? Mm -hmm. If um, you're saying that there's a lot of predators in this industry. It's a many feathered bird. Okay? Be careful what you wish for. That's what I'll tell you. You know, don't go into it with naivety. Don't go into it thinking that it's all roses and You're sunglasses. You're damaging and an entire industry. I'm sorry, I'm not up. trying to. I'm just trying to say that it's a very important, serious topic. You said that there was one gentleman in the industry who did not take advantage of you. He was not a pedophile. That's you said right. it was Michael Jackson. Of all people. And you know, we shouldn't just pretend that it's just Hollywood because every profession has its own dynamics. Uh, and I remember covering the, Ca the Clarence Thomas hearings in 1991 and what the reactions of the Senate Judiciary Committee were and liberal stalwarts, Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden and others who, along with Strom Thurmond and other members of that committee, some still in the Senate, were very eager to shut it down when it when the polling overnight on this critical weekend showed that the American people, for whatever reasons, believed what he said rather than what she said. And that was the, the first we really started hearing about yeah. sexual harassment as, as like a thing. Exactly. Joining me now is Denise White, CEO of EAG Sports Management, senior political commentator David Swerlick, and senior contributor Selena Zito. We're talking about this whole thing about taking a knee, doing the anthem. Well, the BET Hip Hop Awards air tonight. Rapper Eminem used the opportunity to let the world know what he thinks about President Trump. Listen. Colin Kaepernick has responded tonight saying simply, I appreciate you, Eminem. What's your reaction, David? Uh, two things, Don. One is that uh, whether or not you agree with Eminem on the issues, his diagnosis of Trump as a sort of master of distraction, I think, is pretty spot on. And then the second thing is that when you're President Trump and you go after people, you don't just disagree with people, you go after them, you do invite this kind of backlash from a pop star who's got a lot of credibility with a lot of people. A pop star who's got a lot of credibility with a lot of people. A pop star who's got a lot of credibility with a lot of people. You know, the athletes as well. Selena? Well, I, I always think that rap is just an incredible way to express emotion and passion, and, and it's a way to, to reflect society, and that reflects how he feels and how a lot of feel, people feel about what's going on in the country, and, and he did it in his very Eminem way. I've got to run, Denise, but you had some quick news, though, about, uh, about Jerry Jones. About uh, Roger not Goodell. Jerry Jones, but Roger Goodell. Uh, he was down in Miami today with the players of the Miami team that took a knee, and they were with this organization called Rise, which is Protest of Progress, which is actually doing something about what the players are speaking about. Yeah. And he was down there getting okay. insight from the athletes on what we can do to bridge the gaps and really start moving forward. I've got to run. Thank you all. I appreciate it. That's, That's it for us tonight. I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Donald Trump likes rhetorical battles, but so does the rapper Eminem who got his start as a poor kid in Michigan battling people in rap freestyles, a sort of improv poetry contest famously depicted in the movie 8 Mile. So it was bad news for Trump when Eminem made him the target of an entire battle rap video at the BET Awards last night. It opens with Eminem in a spare parking garage contrasting Trump to Obama.
But we better give Obama props, because what we got in office now's a kamikaze that'll probably cause a nuclear holocaust. Eminem echoing top Republicans who've been worrying Trump is driving us towards war. Then Eminem notes how Trump's attacking the NFL to distract from Puerto Rico and gun control. It's like we take a step forwards, then backwards. But this is his form of distraction. Plus, he gets an enormous reaction when he attacks the NFL. So we focus on that and instead of talking Puerto Rico with gun reform for Nevada, all these horrible tragedies and these border would rather cause a Twitter storm with the Packers. That is as concise a takedown of Trump distraction ploys as any political scientist, a prelude to Eminem confronting Trump on race. From his endorsement of Bannon, support for the Klansmen, tiki torches in hand for the soldier that's blackened, comes home from Iraq and is still told to go back to Africa, forking a dagger in this racist 94-year-old grandpa who keeps ignoring our past historical deplorable factors. Now if you're a black athlete, you're a spoiled little brat for trying to use your platform or your stature to try to give those a voice who don't have one. He says you're spitting in the face of that who fought for us, you bastards. The reference there, of course, is to Trump claiming NFL protesters are dissing veterans. Pretty rich coming from the candidate who said this about John McCain. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. And a half years He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured. No one who follows politics can forget that moment, including Eminem. Unless you're a POW who's tortured and battered because to him you're zeros because he don't like his war heroes captured. That's not disrespecting the military. And then in this battle, Eminem talks about skin color, saying Donald Trump is a politician whose skin color is, of course, orange. Now, old school Eminem fans may actually recall his crusade against the idea that it's hard to rhyme words with the word orange. People say that uh, the word orange doesn't rhyme with anything, and that kind of pisses me off because I can think of a lot of things that rhyme with orange. I put my orange, four-inch, door hinge, in storage, and ate porridge with George. <laughs> and he rhymes orange while accusing Trump of stoking racial division. Racism's the only thing he's fantastic for. Because that's how he gets his rocks off and he's orange. Now that Fantastic Four is a double entendre reference to a superhero from the Fantastic Four comics who is literally orange. Then Eminem goes ahead and he crosses a line most entertainers fear. He puts his money where his mouth is. The man who sold over 100 million albums decided resisting Trump is so important He's willing to risk insulting his fans and even break up with them. Eminem says this is a time for choosing. And any fan of mine who's a supporter of his, I'm drawing in the sand a line. You're either for or against the rest of America. Stand up. We love our military and we love our country. But we hate Trump. That is how you win a battle. And this particular result is more than a cultural loss for Trump. In hip hop, when someone loses that badly, it is known as getting destroyed, bodied, or ethered. 
Eminem's case against Trump is powerful, not only because he has such a broad influence, not only because a takedown by an artist can sting more than the usual political sniping. Remember George W. Bush saying one of the most disgusting points in his presidency, he thought, was Kanye West saying he didn't care about black people. No, Eminem's case is powerful today because it meets fire with fire. He is defending the veterans and immigrants and others Trump has attacked by going on offense with a strong and angry and righteous attack, not only on President Trump, but on those who Eminem says enables him. My first guest now for this discussion is Chuck Creekmer, uh, Creekmer founder of AllHipHop.com, and back with me, the Weekly Standards uh, Bill Crystal will be joined by some rappers in a moment. Uh, Chuck, what does this mean in the influence of Eminem here? Well, I think it's, it means everything. First of all, Eminem uh, has a certain level of privilege, and he's using that privilege for good. And he used it on one of the biggest platforms, at least in the hip-hop space, to, to get that message across. But as you know, if another artist had done that, it might not have resonated as far and wide across America. So I think and appreciate Eminem's voice in this instance because a lot of people have been saying this for the longest time. In mm. fact, Eminem has been saying things like this for a really long time, and a lot of people weren't hearing it. And now that Trump is, is so, you know, his impact has, has you know, really uh, like mushroomed over the last year or so, you know, people are now feeling it across America. We can show you, Bill, some of uh, Eminem's fans who like Trump responding today saying, I was a fan of Eminem. He drew a line in the sand. I'm out. Hashtag MAGA for Trump. Welp, I'm done with Eminem, too, and no more respect for Eminem. You can't call out your fans like that. Hashtag disappointed. Uh, Bill, how do you view a line like this being drawn by a, an entertainer, a musician, a, a cultural leader? Yeah, I don't know. These things are kind of hard to hard to predict. You know, I worked for Dan Quayle, and we criticized Murphy Brown. Probably that maybe that was well advised at the time, it was ages ago, and people ridiculed the vice president that we maybe was making a serious point. Um, the interesting see if Trump responds. And basically, it's a bad idea to get in fights with entertainers of different sorts, and it's a better idea to probably sail above it. I don't know that a lot of people are going to change their mind because of this, uh, but maybe you know, maybe he'll. You never know what what, what makes a dent or what contributes to uh, to people changing their minds. I think reality. Is what's gonna, I, I've been struck by this over months, so God knows a lot of people have made eloquent cases in different forms, different, you know, not everyone as poetic as Eminem uh, against Donald Trump. I think reality is going to have to hit, honestly. The economy, mm. the world, world, something's going to have to happen to cause Trump supporters to say, geez, I think I was wrong about the guy. Right, and then there's reality, and there's also who influences people's reality, especially because people get their ideas and information from different places. I want you both to stay with me. I want to bring in a special uh, guest hip-hop musician and activist, uh, Talib Kweli, who's recorded with Pharrell. Most Deaf, Kanye West, his new album Radio Silence coming out next month. I'm also joined on the phone by rapper and activist Fat Joe, who's recorded with Lil Wayne and his group Terror Squad, and of course, Ashanti in What's Love, which people may remember spent 20 weeks on the Billboard charts. Obviously, I'm just excited you guys are here. Uh, Talib, what did you think of, of this new video? Um, you know, Eminem, since, you know, White America, all the way up to his last verse, the Big Sean album, you know, Eminem has spent a lot of his verses this year um, uh, criticizing Trump, and he's always been anti-establishment, always been anti-conservative politics in his music. Um, and like Chuck said, he used his platform to show solidarity in a way that a lot of artists of his stature, a lot of white artists, are not brave enough to do. And so I commend the man on it. And I want to say shout-out to Fat Joe and to, and, to, and to Chuck as well, because, you know, they've been activists in this hip-hop thing for a long time. 
You're not you're not shouting out Bill Crystal. I've seen Bill Crystal on TV, but I don't know. I don't know a man like that yet. Okay. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. We don't know you like that. I'm 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 speechless. What can I say? (laughs) Uh, I'm honored to be even mentioned. I'm honored to be even mentioned in this back and forth. You made a pundit speechless. Uh, Fat Joe, how did you first hear about this song? I know you're working on Puerto Rico. What do you think of all this? Well, I saw it last night. The reason why it was so impactful. Because it was it was it was almost like looking in the mirror. So you got somebody uh, like Eminem who's so uh, influential in white America, and it finally you know sometimes you it takes your own to govern your own. So it needed we needed a voice like Eminem to say what everybody else was thinking, and then maybe it'll reflect on America because America's at a real fragile state right now. And all this divisiveness, all this racism, all this lack of, you know, respect for black and brown people is just so visually clear to your face. Like if Trump didn't invite the, 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 the basketball team to the White House, even though they wasn't going, but he invited the hockey champions. And just all this is just being thrown on everybody's faces is a very fragile time in America and it, and it took somebody like um, Eminem you know to, to bring that to the light and uh, mm. I'm telling you that I that I've never seen a freestyle on my timeline of social media like this ever in my life so that's how impactful it wow. was with black and Latino people and Talib, speak to the, the layered analysis that Eminem does, because he is saying things that Bob Corker is saying. He is mm-hmm. saying things that political scientists and analysts and pundits are saying about the distraction effects. Uh, how did that stand out to you? And, and for viewers who don't follow the music as closely, how typical is that? Right. Well, with all apologies to uh, MSNBC, Chuck D famously said that hip hop is the CNN for black people. You know what I'm saying? And when he said black people, what he meant at the time was hip-hop culture, which includes Latino people and white people, people of all different races. You know what I'm saying? Um, Eminem is a very skilled lyricist. And back in the day, he used to use his lyrical darts to take on, like, you know, Fred Durst and Mariah Carey and, you know, really entertainers and on a political spectrum and meant nothing. Now we see Eminem, a 40-plus-year-old man who's been doing it for 20-plus years, who's still very, very, very masterful at his craft, who's using his art and his influence to now take on a bigger target and take it on in a more focused, a really more focused manner. Eminem, he's using his, his power, his superpower, that's wrapped to really impact the culture, really add his voice as a part of the resistance. And I think that the, the line that hit me the most is when he, when he draws a line in the sand, because it's a miscommunication for a lot of fans that if they buy your music, they have bought you. And these fans do not own Eminem. When they bought an Eminem album, they got an even exchange. They got a lifetime of music to listen to. And he got paid. And if they want their money back, they could go back to the store. They get their money for the store. Because we, we damn sure know the store don't, don't pay us like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Eminem, you know what I'm saying? So Eminem, what he did was he let the fans know, you don't own me just because you like my music. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's important. Stand for artists to take. Right, and he risks his bottom line as well. It's fascinating. Uh, as Fat Joe was saying, this has been everywhere. If you're watching at home and you haven't seen the video yet, well, now you've seen part of it, and it is everywhere. Uh, Talib Kweli, Fat Joe, Bill, and Chuck, thank you. 
Big game booty hunter and alleged rapist Harvey Weinstein is reportedly heading to sex rehab, but will he be prosecuted for his possible crimes? Now that Harvey has become as disposable as one of the starlets he discarded after violating them, his former allies have come out in droves to bravely condemn his actions. But what took them so long? Journalist Ronan Farrow was shut down by his employer, NBC, after working on the Weinstein story for 10 months. Matt Damon reportedly helped spike a story at the New York Times over a dozen years ago. And writer Kim Masters had also been trying in vain to document Harvey's worst-kept secrets. The most egregious mutes include Gwyneth Paltrow, who was supposedly groped and harassed by Harvey when she was 22. And she apparently told her then-boyfriend Brad Pitt, who had the nards and clout to confront the corpulent, buggering bully. How many times over how many years might Gwynnie have come forward to tell her story, spill the goop, and save future victims? Those assistants, interns, hopeful actors and writers whose lives and potential careers were ruined by Weinstein's serial sexual assault and legal battery. Coming forward after decades of movie projects when she's an Academy Award-winning multimillionaire, it doesn't make her brave. It makes her a complicit fraud. Shame on the scummy politicians like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama who accepted millions in bundling, untold favors, and even an internship this year at the Weinstein Company for the former first daughter. Gee, heroes, Harvey is festering, rancid, and beyond damaged. Now's a safe time to take a stand. How many victims were minted while editors, news directors, publicists, actors, and politicians all sat on their manicured hands with their mouths sewn shut? Shame on all of them, and God help Harvey, who will hopefully meet some long-deserved prison-style justice. The only question left for the ravenous Coliseum crowd, who's next? You guys still with me? Probably should never spent, actually play 20 minutes of sound bites. I mean, this is just a chewed up podcast. I apologize to everybody who's listening to it because I just didn't put in my notes right this weekend because I did this this weekend while I was watching TV and I fucked it up. So I apologize. Nick Gillespie heads off our stats of the day. Chicago's offensive, ineffective soda tax is dead. Chug a Mountain Dew to celebrate. It actually didn't re generate any revenue because people went outside of Chicago to get their shit. Trump did a Christian values thing, which we kind of covered earlier, American culture um, wars were started up because he said, we are stopping cold the attack on Judeo-Christian values. Um, at the Values Voter Summit, we are stopping cold the attacks on Judeo-Christian values, Trump said to applause before slamming people who don't say Merry Christmas. They don't use the word Christmas because it's not politically correct, Trump said, complaining that department stores will use red and Christmas decorations but say Happy New Year, we're saying Merry Christmas again. The comments drew thunderous applause. So, of course, the media dogged it, and you saw Matthew Dowd say, well, Hollywood's better than the Value Voter Summit bullshit because they finally did something about Harvey Weinstein. Uh, as he deflects Clintons, because, you know, he loves the Clintons, and he's a Clintonite. 
<clears throat> but the truth is, this isn't like a small thing. Those who try to minimize it are just trying to cover for censorship and lack of freedom of speech in our country. Because here's the list. Lowe's, Toys R Us, Banana Republic, Bed Bath & Beyond, Best Buy, Dick's Sporting Goods, Eddie Bauer, Gap, Home Depot, Kmart, Dillard's, JCPenney, Joanne Fabrics, Kohl's, L.L. Bean, Linen & Things, Michael's, M&M's Mars Candy, Target, Walmart, Starbucks. That's a lot of organizations. Those are big power companies. Starbucks was so fucked up about it, they didn't even want to have a cup with Christmas stuff a couple years back. So, understand, it's not a simple thing. And when 60% of the country is Christian and they celebrate Christmas, all you atheists can just go suck it. Robert Reich tweeted a conversation he had with Jeff Flake. Remarkable 6,300 retweets. Total credulousness despite the facts. Folks just want to believe stuff. Do you really believe this? Seems cleaning stage as conversations go. Not that the content is baseless. The dialogue just seemed contrived. Because it was. He just tweeted a conversation that he made up with Jeff Flake, which was giving hope to those that truly believe that Trump's going to be impeached. 6,300 retweets. Jeff Flake's response, 63 retweets. So thus in the stats of the day. It's the usual thing. Chris Cuomo, foreign, please tell me you don't mean Puerto Rico. They are citizens, and yes, Cali fires are severe and need, need is great, not either or. Chris, you have to be taking something to be able to, uh, taking something to be able to answer so calmly to these gapping rectums. Holy shit. The more facts you have, the less need to make it about feelings. Insult and agitations are a sign of weakness. Weak argument. We just did a report on these continued need after all these storms. Don't be a lemming. It's amazing how fake news Cuomo can rationalize just about anything through the fog of his own stubborn arrogance. Don't call people lemmings, but otherwise love you. Keep up the good work. And I put in the stat of the day because there's been a lot of this lately of media members starting to attack Anybody that doesn't agree with the left. It's all over Twitter. And I think you should go check it out, folks. It's now becoming quite obvious that because they couldn't get us to vote Hillary in, and afterwards they couldn't get us to do the faithless electors and all the other things, and America isn't siding with them on all their hate of Trump, they're now joining the left in their hate of other Americans. And it's troubling. Nancy Pelosi is Facebook down for you? For, for far too many Americans, not having access to high-speed Internet means it might as well always be. I guess Facebook went down this week. Nancy Pelosi literally tweeted that. She pandered for free high-speed Internet. What's next? What's next? Other stuff. Nets yawn as federal prosecutor, prosecutors rest case of Menendez bribery trial. Zero coverage. None. That trial has not been covered one second on American news media. Time, the magazine, who we read all the liberal craziness from. Yeah, they're slashing circulation. They're failing. 
Nets gave Trump trashing 10 times more coverage than the NFL backing down. 63 minutes on Trump being a fuck. Six minutes about the policy change that should happen this week. Those that don't believe it's going to happen. Here's some facts from the New York Times fruit bats, not from Breitbart. The NFL is now one of the most divisive brands in the U.S. They literally are plus 38 Clinton voters, negative 24. Trump Hotels is the most divisive brand. They are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This was done by a media consultation where they asked people for brands. Okay? The number one divisive thing in the world is Trump, followed by CNN, NBC, New York Times, MSDNC, then Fox News. Then. Then Fox News. So the NFL has gone from one of the major brands to being the seventh most divisive all over this. Then this weekend, Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. That just destroyed football for me. The weekend I was going to start watching again. He gets hurt in the first quarter. I shut the game off. The season's over. Both my teams have broken quarterbacks, so we will win no more, the Ducks or the Packers. Then Jameis Winston broke his shoulder or fucked it up. Ratings are tanking. You bet your bippy this week. The NFL is going to change its policies on the flag because its stars are dropping like flies. And it's all because of the collective bargaining agreement. I'm not saying it's because of this fight with Trump. They're dropping like flies because they no longer get hit anymore. They don't practice hitting. They don't do anything anymore. And the games suck until the playoffs. I mean, seriously, look how many injuries we've had this season. It's getting worse. They're not in shape. They've watered down their brand. They then poured fucking fire on the shit with the fucking flag protest. Not looking good. To a music break, and our only segment today is going to be an interesting article from the Federals that pretty much says the left cultural war will end in a civil war. I wanted to read it last podcast, but I went long. I'm going to play Highly Suspect. My wife found me a new band. Of all people, I never thought my wife would find me a new band. She's not Mrs. Music, but she found some really good shit while she was driving, going on her trips. And this song is called Little One, and I love it. See you on the other side.
places I took you, they seem so fucking empty I have trouble going anywhere at all Especially in my own bedroom Yeah, it stays away to haunt me So I'm out, black out, drunk In another bathroom spot at the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed all right this is from uh, john daniel davidson the radicalization of the democratic party is transforming everything that happened in america into another battle in our unending culture war is there anything left in American public life that isn't an occasion for political rancor and division? Let that sit for a second. That's the greatest opening of an article I've ever read because it's just so true. I bitch about it on the show all the time. There's nothing sacred anymore. Everything to the left, every holiday, every cultural thing we've ever done, any traditional norm is now partisan, which I don't 
get. NFL games are now nothing more than crude pieces of political theater. On Sunday, even Vice President Pence got an act, showing up to Colts 49er game, then leaving after a few players knelt during the National Anthem. Next day was Columbus Day, which was cities of Los Angeles and Austin decided this year to place with Indigenous People Day, because Christopher, Christopher Columbus is apparently the new Robert E. Lee, and it's only Tuesday. It should be obvious by now that our culture wars will henceforth be constant and unending. The next battle could be triggered by almost anything, whether it's the reaction or non-reaction of Hollywood celebrities to the unsurprising news of Harvey Weinstein's sexual misdeeds or the outraged calls for the repeal of the Second Amendment, the instant news broke of the Las Vegas massacre, which is very interesting. It's fallen off the media. There's nothing about that, folks. Which, once again, I told you, this would happen. They're going to find out it wasn't what they wanted it to be. Very little can happen in America now without it being an occasion for an appeal to one's own political tribe. No matter how tawdry or horrifying the news, there's vanishing little room for solidarity because there is no appetite for it. Not even late-night comedy shows with their shrinking audiences can resist the urge to devolve into partisan political rants. For all his eagerness to wage the culture wars in his impoverished, bombastic style, this didn't begin with Donald Trump. It didn't begin with Barack Obama either. But a recent study by Pew Research Center found that divisions between Republicans and Democrats on fundamental political values reached record levels during the Obama administration. You don't need a Pew survey to tell you that, of course, but the data helps illuminate an otherwise vague feeling that American society is coming apart at the seams and has been for years. Right and left are moving farther apart and fast. The Pew study measures responses to issue Pew has been asking about since 94. Things like welfare, race, and immigration. Almost every count the gaps between Republicans and Democrats held more or less steady up until around 2010 when they began to widen. Today, Republicans and Democrats are now further apart ideologically than at any point in more than two decades, with the median Republican more conservative than 97% of the Democrats and the median Democrat more liberal than 95% of the Republicans. Here's what that looked like in a chart, and it's fucking scary. They were close together. Now, if you look at the chart in 2017, even though the numbers look like Republicans are worse, it's not. Democrats are way up there. On immigration, 84% of Democrats say immigrants strengthen the country, while only 42% of Republicans say the same. Ten years ago, those percentages were nearly identical. On environmental regulations, 77% of Democrats say more regulation is worth the cost, compared to just 36% of Republicans. A decade ago, that spread was 67 and 58, respectively. On whether Islam is more likely than any other religion to encourage violence, 65% of Republicans say it does, while 60 of Democrats say it doesn't. That one is scary. That's just a scary thing for me, who's fought in the goddamn war against Islam and heard normal Islamic people speak about how much they hate the West. When Pew first asked that question in 2002, Shortly after 9-11 attacks, the partisan gap was just 11 points. Here's the other notable that uh, 
thing about Pew's findings. Among the 10 questions about political values that Pew has asked since 94, the partisan gap is much larger than division based on demographic differences like age, race, and education. For example, the average partisan gap has increased from 15 to 36 points, whereas 20 years ago, the average and partisan difference on the issues were only somewhat wider than the differences by religion, attendance, or educational attainment, and about as wide as the difference between blacks and whites. 14 points on average. Today, the parties divide as much wider than any of these demographic differences. Age, uh, gender, 7% partis- uh, partisan divide, 10 for age, 13 for education, 11 for religion, 14 for race, 36% difference for party. The Pew survey is a rich trove of fascinating survey data, but it mostly confirms what we can see for ourselves. Americans are sorting themselves into political tribes that have less and less in common. Partisanship has even crept into the online dating scene. Last month, the dating website OKCupid announced a partnership with Planned Parenthood that allows users to attach a badge to their profile. The obvious purpose of this is to avoid actually going on a date with someone who doesn't want to kill a baby. We already covered that. Identity politics is poisoning American civic life. That brings us to something else that might get lost in the numbers. The median Democratic voter has radicalized much faster than the median Republican voter, and most of this radicalization happened while a Democratic president was in office. That counterintuitive trend points to the larger problem with how the left in particular understands the American project and our prospects for living together in peace and prosperity. Although it's true that Republicans have moved farther to the right as Democrats have moved towards the left, it's the leftward slide that it should worry us. For all their shortcomings, conservatives at least have a limiting principle for politics. Most of them believe, for example, in the principles enshrined the Constitution and maintain that no matter how bad things are, the Bill of Rights is a necessary bulwark, something that only bulwark against tyranny and violence. In contrast, there's the Timothy Egan of the New York Times arguing unabashedly for the repeal of the Second and Fifth Amendment. The rapid radicalization of Democrats along these lines follow a ruthless logic about the entire premise of the American constitutional order. If you believe, as a progressive increasingly do, that America was founded under false pretenses and built on a racial oppression, then why bother conserving it? And why bother trying to compromise with those on the other side, especially if they reject progressives' unifying theory that America is forever cursed by its original sin of slavery, which nothing can expect? expate. Before you scoff, understand that this view of race in America is increasingly mainstream on the left. To read someone like Tanishi Coates, whose recent article in The Atlantic is a manifesto of racial identity politics that argues Trump's presidency is based on white supremacy, is to realize that progressive elites no longer believe they can share a republic with conservatives or really anyone with whom they disagree. Coates has attained near godlike status among progressives with his oracle writing on race and politics, which take for granted the immutability of race and racial animus. So it's deeply disturbing when he writes, as he does in a new collection of essays, that while that should white supremacy fall, that the means by which that happens might be unthinkable of the, those of us bound by present realities and politics. What does Coates mean by that? It isn't hard to guess, and lately Coates isn't trying too hard to disguise it. In a recent interview with Ezra Klein of Vox, Coates expanded his on his ideas. 
writes Klein, when he tries to describe the events that would erase America's wealth gap that would see the end of white supremacy, his thoughts flicker to the French Revolution, to the execution and terror. It's very easy for me to see myself being contemporary with processes that might make for an equal world more equality and maybe the complete abolition of race as a construct and being horrified by the process, maybe even attacking the process. I think these things don't tend to happen peacefully. This is circuitous, stumbling language of a man who knows precisely what he wants to say but isn't sure if he should come right out and say it. Coates isn't alone in feigning towards violence as a means, perhaps the only means, if Coates is to take is to be taken at his word, of achieving social justice. On college campuses, progressive activists increasingly don't even bother mincing words. They just forcibly silence anyone who disagrees with them, as a Black Lives Matter group did recently during an event featuring the American Civil Liberties Union at the College of William and Mary. Ironically, the talk was supposed to be about students and the First Amendment. For sincere progressives, almost everything that happened in the past is a crime against the present, and the only greatness America can contain or attain is by repudiating its past and shaming or silencing its possible. All those who believe preserve our constitutional order is the best way for all of us to get along. Seen in that light, the radicalization of Democrats is something quantitatively different and much more dangerous than the radicalization of Republicans. It means, among other things, that the culture war war is now going to encompass of everything and that it will never end. That article, though alarmist, is true. If you, like I do, go and read what Antifa says, BLM says, feminism say, the race hustlers on the left. In the words of Patrick, who I used to follow on Facebook, but now I blocked, a veteran who literally said, how long do you think we would have not taken up arms? They believe that. I truly believe there's a movement right now in our country to overthrow our country. The ideals that are being espoused on the progressive side are not of democracy but socialism. This year, had the DNC not blocked Bernie Sanders, the Democrats would have elected a socialist. He doesn't believe in democracy. If the race hustlers like BLM and them had their way, white people would have to atone for slavery. Regardless if you ever owned a slain or your lineage ever even had anything to do with it, there would be reparation payments. Anybody who's black would not be ever have to serve for a crime. And the crimes that have been befalling upon America right now where white people have pulled out of their cars and beaten and Ferguson and other places would become commonplace. People always talk about the race war that's going to come. You hear the racist right say things like that. But if you really read what the left is saying and people like Denishi Coates, they are espousing 
more eloquently the same ideas as Nazis and white supremacists. They have become what they hate. And as we continue to play this dance where everything is partisan, I truly believe in my lifetime there will be insurrection, folks. I'm not doing a InfoWars, Alex Jones, crazy thing. There'll be fights in the streets. And it won't be on race, and it won't be on what we always thought it was going to be on. <clears throat> it's going to be over partisanship. It's going to be over where we want this country to go. And words no longer are enough for people on the left. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that say, let Antifa come here. They're going to fight back with guns. And when I hear that, I don't say, yeah, man. That scares the shit out of me. So in my lifetime, and I just turned 50, before I leave this earth, there will be huge riots in our streets. And who do I blame? Do I blame Barack Obama? Sure, he's part of it. But I blame every political leader we have in Washington. Everyone. Right, left. And I blame the media who purports this division every night on their broadcasts. Their words, like, we must go to the street and fight. People will have to sacrifice and bleed. That was from an attorney general. And Tim Kaine, folks. They're saying these words and guys like Hodgkinson's get suicide li- or homicide lists or assassination lists. It's starting. And if Paddock turns out to believe what I think he is, a lefty who went after conservatives, we're already seeing it. And Barack Obama will be right. He always said domestic terrorism is worse than Islamists. It'll start to be true. More and more people will take to the streets and attack other people, not because of their skin color, not because of their religion. It'll be over their politics. And then it'll become whole movements. Then it'll be people on people, groups on groups. I don't carry a gun because I fear crime. I carried a gun for 11 years when I was driving all over the country because one time I drove up on a BLM protest and I'd seen and read what had happened to white people that rolled up on a BLM protest. Now I tell my wife and force my wife to bring her gun, not because she's white and she might roll up on a BLM protest, but because she won't remove some of her political stickers And I fear what Antifa and the far left will do to her if she rolls up on them. Remember, in 2012, my car was surrounded by black youth because I had a no Obama sticker. And as they cursed me and called me a racist, and then we left on amicable terms because I said it had nothing to do with this racist because he's too blue. We're no longer there. Five years later, that whole incident would end totally differently. I probably would have the shit kicked out of me because I was white and I didn't like a black president. 
And that didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen because of conservatives. It didn't happen because of Twitter. It happened because the left leading leaders just went out during election season and called half the country deplorables. And it started the process of not only hating the candidate you didn't want to be president, but hating the people that voted for him. Seth Myers, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel have just taken the same platform. Fuck you. If you like Trump, I don't want you even watching my show. They're part of it. And that's now normal. We can no longer disagree on who we voted for president. We must hate each other because we voted for that person for president. And I'm not saying the right's absolved of this because in 2020, a Democrat will win. They'll start doing it. Because once I said, I've said it on the show a million times, we keep raising the bar for political discourse. It keeps getting raised. And once you start that new level, now that's the norm. And then that's the norm. And then that's the norm. By the time we're done with it, folks, there'll be discourse in the street. Uprisings. And it's fucking scary that we got here as a country. Going to mix it up today. And we're going to go into Military Corner. From task and purpose, seven epic memories you'd love to relive from your military service. Graduating boot camp. After going through weeks of intense training, you get to stand proudly in front of your family and friends at graduation as you officially earn your title as sailor, airman, soldier, whatever the fuck. It was a proud moment. I actually have a picture for mine. The first epic barracks party. Oh, I remember mine. My 19th birthday. It was actually rigged by my wife-to-be. I was fucking kidnapped. Yeah. They hogtied me, begged me, tagged and begged me, drug me the fuck out, put me, actually drove, uh, pushed me across like a five lane highway and took me to McDonald's Playland for a birthday party. I never got it. I was kind of slow on the uptake at that age because it kept saying they're going to get me so drunk I was going to see the man with the big red hair. Yeah, that's McDonald's, but I never picked up on that. The good times on deployments, number three, when troops deploy overseas, all they have is the next men next to them for support and an occasional mail drop. Since we've gone for the majority of the year, we have plenty of downtime to smoke and joke, which usually involves making good friends and epic memories. You never make better friends than the ones you made in combat. My favorite memory was nachos. Before we left to go to Bagram to start Operation Anaconda, my wife sent me one of those new nacho kits. It was all microwavable. But we were in the Middle East, so 
Kandahar was still kind of warm at that time. And I literally poured the shit on the chips because it was, you know, hot. And we all sat and ate nachos. That's my favorite memory. Your first firefight. Talked enough about that on the show. Getting the much-deserved promotion. I remember E7. Emotional. Got my kids' memories from it. My wife, a dozen roses. I almost started crying. Took me forever to make E7. Don't know why. The moment you returned home from deployment. I was the f- acting first sergeant at the time. Because the first sergeant had gone back. The first sergeant had gone to Sergeant Major Academy. The, the acting first sergeant had gone back to set up the barracks. So I was the acting first sergeant for the last month. And... I literally marched the company in because it was low speed welcome home ceremonies at the time before Campbell. They hadn't really worked out their mojo yet. And I broke position of attention because I felt my family to my left. And I looked on the front row was my wife and kids with a big sign. And I remember that was a pretty good moment. And then, of course, walking out of the personnel office with your DD-214. I literally... Remember looking at the Fort Irwin landscape go away in my mirror. I drove home and took a three-hour nap once on the drive, so I made it in two days. And lied to the wife and said I was in Memphis when I was just now crossing into uh, a... I was laying between the lakes. I'd cross the bridge. So she was getting ready for work, and when I pulled up to the house with the camper... She was standing on the front porch smoking. Um, she had told me she'd quit smoking, which was cute, but she wasn't. She was nervous. And I still remember seeing her. It was a warm summer day. I jumped out of the car. We both cried because uh, that was it. It had been a four-year, four-and-a-half-year stretch of not being together, seeing each other about every six months. And then, you know, that was it. I was done. I was out of the Army. Didn't have a job, didn't have a clue. I had 30 days to get my head out of my ass because I was still getting a paycheck. But it was um, it was a happy memory. <clears throat> Another article I found out there was dining style with a Ma Deuce. These people actually made a huge table out of 50, 50 cal receivers. Now, how they got a hold of them, I don't want to know. But it's pretty fucking cool. Um, they even had the spare barrels as the braces, which I thought was neat. The Army's next body armor may get stronger the harder it's hit. The Army's been racing to equip soldiers with lighter, more durable body armor because, as I've talked on the show, the plates are really heavy. Mark Riley reiterated during the Associated the U.S. Army Annual Conference in Washington, the defense t- contractor like Gentex, the corporation buying the Army's advanced combat helmet, flooded AUSA Tech Expo to showcase the latest updates in soldier protection. But with the help of university researchers, the Army's own engineers just took a major step forward, developing durable material to keep American troops safe. On October 11th, the Army Research Laboratory and Institute for Soldiers Nanotechnology and MIT touted the benefits of polyurethane area elastomers, a Stanley rugged and elastic polymers that Branch described as 15 times stronger than steel, but flexible like fabric. The extra strength is impressive, but the degree of flexibility is what distinguishes a PUU from the bulky average army battle armor, which is rigid ceramic and metal plates. Instead, envision a chainmail-like network of FUU fiber, or PUU fiber, which deforms upon impact, being returned to their original thickness, allowing them to absorb more energy from, say, a 7.62 round from a Taliban AK-47 
and be good to go for reuse. As the Army Research Lab Dr. Alex Heisen said in statement, materials made up of PUU literally bounce back after the impact. That's pretty cool. Simultaneously, the Army rolls out new field manual focused on U.S. adversaries' evolving capabilities. Been wondering when they were going to come out with the new FM. So they've come out with new FM. It's called 3-0 Operations. Total new update. And I guess that was released at USA. Also at USA, Oshkosh unveils joint tactical vehicle with lethal new missile upgrade. So ADA forces have pretty much been stripped from the Army. There's no threat, but now they realize in future wars you're going to have that threat. And they've equipped AMRAPs with Hellfires. The Hellfire-enabled JLTV represented a major addition to SHORAD requirement that the upgun GDLS strikers were designed to fill in Eastern Europe. Dispersion was a guy told Task and Purpose that if accepted by the Army, the Hellfire JLTV could potentially end up fielded by as early as January 2019. So the MRAP strikers, all of them, would get a Hellfire edition and be able to take out aircraft, at least helicopters, which is pretty cool for those that have never seen it. When they went to the Humvees and the Up Armors, they kind of put something up there, but it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up. It's not really, you know, the best air defense. And <clears throat> it's sad all those guys had to lose their MOSs and move to something else, but, you know, war changes. So... To another music break, I'm going to play, uh, let me see, uh, let me pick one out so I say it ahead of time. My wife has, like I said, found a bunch of new music, and uh, this is one of her favorite songs. It's by Thrice, it's called Black Honey, and on the other side, we'll go into news and social media nuggets.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. game on campus these days and they call it pc pc politically correct and it's not just politics it's everything it's what you eat it's what you wear and it's what you say if you don't watch yourself you can get in a buttload of trouble for instance see these girls yeah no you don't those are women you call them girls no pop your figs save the whales gays in the military now To our college crazy, college prez asked Congress to censor hate speech on Facebook. University president recently asked Congress to pass legislation that would require Facebook to censor postings that could be considered hate speech. President Seamus Carey made the ask in an essay for Inside Higher Education, in which he discussed how an instance of online hate speech violated the sacredness of our campuses. Of course, deep in the article, it actually releases what he's really talking about, and that's conservative thought. Rutgers students don't need no facts to heckle speaker. A Rutgers University student declared, I don't need no facts, while others heckled a black speaker at a panel on identity politics last week. 
The event was part of Spike's Unsafe Spaces Tour, which featured speakers with a range of views on whether students, activists are re-racializing campus life. Here's the soundbite. Those of us who favor free speech have the smartest, most articulate people on our side, as we can see. Yet, we have been on the losing side, both on college campuses regarding free speech and in the country regarding political power. Why? I don't need a microphone, but thank you. So how do you expect to embody um, an identity you've never lived in? Now, Camille, as a black man, you have, ident- you have identified with being a black man for most of your life, but how do you de-racialize yourself when you've seen the numbers? You know that, I hope that you know, that in the state of New Jersey, black people make up about 12% of the population, yet there's a 12 to 1 ratio of blacks to whites in prisons. Um, Lion. of black people make up the prison system. Brian, how do you really say that the left and the right are both equal, but Trumpism started out with Trump saying that all Mexicans are rapists and need to leave this country? So I'm not understanding how you want to disidentify us when our identities are what kind of make us now. Us being black men, you are targeted because of the color of our skin. We're not saying that our blackness has us share the same ideologies. We disagree now on politics and liberalism. I can tell, I've seen some of your interviews. Phenomenal speaker, but we differ greatly with our ideologies. And that's not because I'm black and you're white, we're both black men. How do we stand with this making college campuses unsafe spaces? How can any of you, how can anybody in this room truly be fine with becoming an unsafe space. The notion of, of unsafe should not enter anybody's mind. At this point, I'm going to continue, but thank you. No, but actually, you're not running this meeting, so I'm going to take the question. But I'm here to make free speech. I will love I will. I know. We have one over here. Yes. All right. than black people in this entire country, but a black child 
who has the same grade, GPA, SAT scores as another white child will then be looked at if he gets picked into the school and they'll say it's affirmative action. But no one says anything about the 60% of students that have a guaranteed spot to go to that school because their parents went there. It's why everyone has their own identity. And the best way that people benefit from it is having other people as the other. When there's an other, other people benefit. So we can't sit here and pretend that like if we throw away all our identities, it'll make a difference. Like I'm Pentecostal, I'm Haitian, my parents are immigrants, but I still have to identify with the fact that I'm a black woman living in America and I have certain privileges for the fact that like I am a straight black woman in America. I do not face the same consequences that cisgender women in this country face. I do not feel like the same pain that other people like Muslim women in this country feel because I am Pentecostal. You have no right if you are not a part of that religion to look at someone else and tell them that they are oppressed. It is not your place to tell someone that they are in their own religion, that they are oppressed. Especially you when you don't believe in it. Thank you very much. So let's bring we we got what there's one there. There's one. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. 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 for civil rights, and it was essential 
for them to be able to secure those rights in order to advocate. The reason why Martin Luther King, for example, wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail, from a Birmingham jail, is because he was imprisoned for effectively violating the speech codes, handing out flyers in the wrong spot, all of these various things. Um, I, I think this is something that we don't Black necessarily understand. Black this is interesting. Let's, 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 give them, let's give them let's give them a second. Has anyone disagreed with that? Has anyone disagreed with that principle? Have you ever gone someplace and had someone scream Black Lives Matter and had someone respond that that's not true? Yes, quite a few times. They said that's not true? Well, guess what? None of those, nobody None of those, okay, well, hold on a second, hold on a second. No, no, no. No one, check, check this out. Check this out. Check this out. Can I, can I, can I finish? Yeah, like, My, my. This is what's going to happen. Camille's going to finish this point. We're going to go down the panel. We're going to come back. We're coming back out. We're going to come back. Do you, do facts matter? Do facts matter? Do facts matter? Alright, hey, 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 hey. This is how it works. If people show, no one. So we'll continue. So, Okay. to make their point and to listen to everyone else. that one can make 
those claims about whiteness, and one can immediately recognize just how retrograde and backwards it is to talk about race in that way. And that one can make the same, and that one can make the same claims about some other race and not recognize how retrograde those ideas are. What's retrograde isn't the embrace of whiteness, it's the embrace of race. I care about the things that you care about. There is not a person in this room that thinks people should be dying unnecessarily. I care about mass incarceration. I think it's deeply problematic. But I also know that if the United States of America were to release every brown and black person from prison today, federal and state, I'm, I'm, can I finish my point? Can I finish my point? We have, we're not even can I, can I finish my point? Friday, if, if they were to release them all, the United States would still be, and I've made this point in a room full of conservative leaders, um, making it important for them to get it, that if they were all be released from jail, the United States would still be fifth or sixth in the world in terms of its rate of incarceration. That's problematic. If we want to fix this problem, talking about it narrowly in terms of race is not going to help us get to solutions. We've been doing that for three or four years now, while Black Lives Matter has been very active since Ferguson. Talk to me about the federal reforms that have been achieved. There aren't any. That's problematic. I want to fix these problems too. My concern is that disrupting conversations like this makes it harder for us to solve those problems. Somehow nobody called that racist. Interesting. Clueless protesters shot down University of Oregon press. University of Oregon students forcibly disrupted a speech by the school's president Friday, forcing him to deliver a video address announcing a $50 million gift to the school. The protesters complained vaguely about a huge proliferation of neo-Nazi propaganda and the fact that they paid tuition but did not issue any specific demands. Um, the UO president, Michael Schill, was... Schill, that's just fucking perfect for Oregon. Plans to put the massive donation to use, but was driven from the stage by students shouting, Nothing about us without us! And referencing him as a CEO shill. If someone says something we don't like, we should not try to shut them down. Is what he said. But whatever. Students did not appear to have a coherent message, but shouted vague concerns about tuition cost and fascist propaganda. Over the summer, there's been a huge proliferation of neo-Nazi propaganda plastered all over campus, declared protest leader Charlie Landeros. We're here to stand up against them. Yeah. A recording of the Shill's address was released in lieu of the speech in which he reminds students that if someone says something we don't like, we should not try to shut them down because the antidote to speech we don't like is more speech. Notably, Shill even pledged that the recent donation would not be used for business as usual, saying the money would help fund a new black cultural center, which included a tutoring and tutoring and support staffer, along with nine new endowment facility chairs and initiatives in data science. So they're giving it to the right cause, but we're still going to yell at them because we have nothing else to protest at fucking Oregon because Oregon is just one big fucking progressive wet dream. But you know why? Study! Majority of college students hostile to free speech. There it is. New study released by Foundation of Individual Rights, or FIRE, which we covered on the show, confirms that many have long believed 
College students don't respect the First Amendment. The survey of more than 1,000 students found that 56% support disinviting controversial speakers, while a 48% plurality believe that hate speech is not constitutionally protected. While liberal students were far more likely to support censorship than their conservative peers, conservative students reported a much greater degree of self-censorship on campus in the classroom. Oh, was that a surprise? According to the survey, the most comprehensive survey ever, there is clearly a partisan divide in how students perceive free speech on college campuses.、Um, the YouGov survey, super liberal survey, 1,250 undergraduates between 25 May and June 8th, finding 48% think that hate speech should not be protected in the First Amendment, including 13% who associate hate speech with violence, while only 46% recognize that. Meanwhile, 56% of those surveyed supported disinviting certain speakers. 54% of all students admitted to self-censoring class at some point throughout their college careers, and 29% said they have even self-censored on campus outside the classroom. Along partisan lines, Republican students, 60%, are far more likely to believe that they should not have to encounter protests on campus compared to just 29% of Democrats. Of those surveyed by Fire, 58% find being part of an inclusive community, which entails not being exposed to offensive ideas, an important part of college life. Sweet God, we have created a monster. Amherst students demand protection from hurtful ideas. Students in Amherst College recently protested. That mere presence of a conservative speaker saying students should have to feel afraid for, should not have to feel afraid for their safety. The letter was prom- prompted by a recent panel hosted by the Amherst College Republicans on why military action after 9/11 was justified, which included a former radio host known for highlighting the relationship between Islam and terror, which is actually the truth, and these people couldn't take it. Huh. Law school drops debate sponsorship and fear of painful views. Yeah, Seattle University Law School has pulled a sponsorship of a slated debate over illegal immigration and fear exposing students to painful conservative viewpoints. More than 200 students signed a petition demanding that the school not host an event they considered harmful, leaving the school's Federalist Society as a sole sponsor. For the debate, and you ask why do I keep reporting all these? Because I'm trying to show the point. It's not just on the left coast. It's not on the right coast. It's everywhere. These students don't want anything else. Texas State seeks math professor with social justice commitment. Math professor. TSU has two new job openings for math education professors, but wants applicants to have a demonstrated commitment to social justice. For one of these professorships, the university will refer a candidate with not only a commitment to social justice, but evidence of research on the subject as well. Campus Reform reached out to the school for additional information, and they ignored them. <laughs> so last week, or last podcast, we said a professor said Trump was. The cause for the Vegas shooting. No proof. Just said it. Now, a professor suggests toxic masculinity 
caused Las Vegas massacre. A Columbia College Chicago professor recently posted a tweet suggesting toxic masculinity is to blame for the recent mass shooting in Los Angeles. The tweet included a link to an op-ed the professor wrote in 2016 arguing toxic masculinity fuels mass shootings because sexually frustrated men rebel against domestication. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I got it. That's just fucking fantastic. To non-college stuff, Fox Star celebrate National Coming Out Day with transgender masturbation scene. That's the new frontier, showing transgenders getting their freak on. Hotel and iconic TWA terminal will evoke glamour of jet age. I just wanted to cover this really quick because this is so fucking cool. Uh, now construction is underway to transform the landmark into a $265 million hotel that conjure the same glamour of the original age. And for my wife, this is just right down her alley with the MCM mid-century, mid-century modern stuff. It is going to be old school back in the day stuff um, and they're even talking about serving the meals from the time and everything the, the dining facility, the whole thing uh, or the restaurant will just be all high speed, I thought it was pretty cool Jessica Chamber murder trial firefighters say woman set on fire fought for her life you didn't hear about this because the assailant was black and the person was white a longtime firefighter said Wednesday he has never seen a victim so badly burned when he found a young Mississippi woman lying on the ground, barely able to speak. After being intentionally set, Daniel Cole testified Wednesday about the death of 19-year-old Jessica Chambers at the capital murder trial, a man accusing killing her on 2014. She was sitting on a blanket, her hair was singed, soot all around her nose and her mouth, blisters all over her body. At one point, I even laid down beside her, Cole, fighting back tears. Quinton Tellus, 29, is accused of killing Chambers, a former high school cheerleader from Cortland, Mississippi, who was found along a black a back road near a tree farm near three years ago. The teenager, who had been doused with a flammable liquid and set ablaze, was first discovered emerging from the woods near a burning car wearing only her underwear. She died four hours later. He pled guilty. Somehow that didn't make the paper um, because, let's be honest, we never report those. But had a black woman been killed by a white male and set on fire, you would know everything about this case. Just like you would know everything about the Menendez trial, the Wiener trial, the white, you know, fucking this whole Weissman bullshit. Uh, Weinstein bullshit. All that would be out in the public. But now you know nothing. John Snow. Okay, for our lighter fair today, I'm going to start a new segment called GG's. Moment of Zen. This is actual conversations we've had. I think it's really funny because she randomly says stuff about the left that I don't think of. And I decided to put it in a package. Enjoy. And now a moment of Zen with Gigi Reed. 
While sitting in traffic the other day, I thought, with all the things liberals are offended by, why are they not offended by car names? There's the Tacoma, Cherokee, Thunderbird, New Yorker, Winnebago. I mean, geez, Wrangler could be offensive to cowboys. And while we're on that, we hear a lot about the Redskins. But what about the other offensive NFL names? Giants? What about the little people? Think of the little people. Dolphins, Cardinals, Seahawks, Falcons, Rams. I'm sure those animals don't like their names being appropriated. And that was a moment of zen with Gigi Reed. So this wraps up another episode of Flav or Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by email on F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flav or Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Foppodcast dot com. It's a theme. There you can see links to feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page, and our email. On the episode release page, you'll see a link to every episode. And on the blog, you'll see my blogs. I'll do a blog today. I'm closing at work, so I'll be there till late, and I'll have nothing better to do. Next podcast will be the 18th, and I promise it'll be better than this one, because this one sucked. I apologize. Crappy script. Script. Not very good. Kind of half-assed. I suck. But Wednesday, I will suck less. I promise you. Remember, during the rest of this week, disconnect from your bullshit. Give your family and friends undivided attention. And have a fantastic work week, my friends. As always, I thank you all for listening. And take care.